Today's episode is brought to you by Dreammaker Racing, the New York bred specialist. From top quality New York bred racehorses, Hall of Fame trainers, and unmatched hospitality services, Dreammaker Racing has everything to offer when it comes to owning a racehorse. Have you ever imagined what it's like to see your horse cross the finish line first at racetracks like Saratoga or Belmont? Well, now you can. Dreammaker Racing will put you in the winner's circle. Call today at 518 518- 587-5550 or visit DreamMakerRacing.com and let us make your dreams come true today. And we're live, pal. Welcome to another episode of the Cast. I am Stu. Before I get into the show today, please like rate and if you could subscribe so you get every new episode automatically downloaded check me out at stewcast sports on twitter um give me a follow shoot me a message whatever you uh i'm around uh today obviously we had the sec west last week and that was a fantastic show go back listen to it if you haven't already SEC East today, we got a bunch of amazing guests. Dr. SEC is in the house. J.C. Shelton of Georgia Football Live coming in. David Waters of Gators Breakdown, he's joining us. And as always, Ryan Dickey and the Bobcat himself, John Castorani, going to be co-hosting with me. So very excited. Cannot wait for SEC football uh, to get here, to get on my TV screen. I need the SEC and CBS. Uh, But we had football this weekend, and I'll give a quick rundown before I get into the show today. You know, look, the fun belt, 3-0 and versus the Big 12, and those games weren't particularly close. I mean, the Raging Cajuns pretty much dominated against Iowa State. Defensively, very stout. Offensively, getting some uh, speedy punt return making big plays, converting a lot of third downs. Coastal Carolina, who I was on, and I went 3-1 and one with my picks, uh, which I'll get to momentarily. Coastal Carolina just, again, for the second straight year, just way better than what Kansas is. And that's a real issue for Les Miles. And <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, Les Miles, uh, I, th- I think he's losing a little bit of speed on the fastball because – he was wishing somebody congratulations on their new wedding and ended it with Go Tigers. That's a real video. It's out there. Um, I I don't know what to say other than I'm really concerned if I'm a, uh, a Kansas guy, if I'm a Kansas football fan, if I want to see that program come back. They looked – I mean, it was 28 nothing, right? And Coastal Carolina was just hitting harder running faster, better play calling, both sides of the ball, and Kansas was just really bereft of any talent. Um, Other games, Georgia Tech goes in to Florida State, and, you know, that game could have got out of control a lot quicker. There's two field goals blocked, uh, a really bad interception thrown by that freshman QB for Georgia Tech Sims. Um but that's a team that that's gritty. They fought. There is talent there on that team. 
Now they go to play UCF, and and we'll have a little something on the Twitter later this week with my picks uh, for this weekend. Look, I I know UCF. This is their first game of the year. UCF has a lot of talent. A lot of people are looking at UCF as a possible playoff team, and that may sound funny, but they have a real opportunity to run the table. That team. Even Mackenzie Milton's coming back, possibly. Brandon Winbush at QB. They have they returned pretty much their entire team from last year. You project that forward step. And Josh Heupel's got a team that's ready to rock. Uh, it, Georgia Tech is good. Georgia Tech's better than what they were last year. And last year, at, towards the end of the season, they were coming on. I still have major questions about that defense. I don't know that Florida State... Uh, James Blackman sure doesn't look right. Um, I, I have some real questions about that team. So, I, you know, it opened up at 7.5. I thought it was going to be about 10.5. Georgia Tech getting about 10.5. Uh, tough game. Very tough game, but a good one. Uh, what else happened Saturday? I think the other big thing that you got to take a look at is Texas and Oklahoma – just buried teams. The The Red River shootout's going to be so good this year. It's going to be so good. I think those teams are both going to come into it undefeated, and it's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, big game coming up this week, Miami-Louisville ACC game. This is going to be a very big litmus test for how good De'Ara King is. I thought Louisville acquitted themselves very nicely against a pretty good Western Kentucky team. I thought Miami struggled against a a decent UAB team. And we're going to have to see, can De'Aire King, he doesn't have the weapons he did at Houston, right? I think it's pretty apparent at wide out that the talent gap is is there to some extent. And they have a very run-heavy offense. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that RPO stuff going on. Um, we might get uh, we might get Paul Scoop on the U to come out. You know, we'll see what happens next week, and and maybe he can come on and and review the game with us. But uh, that game's going to be really interesting. But yeah, the fun belt. There's a lot of good football being played. We haven't even seen the AAC yet, really fully back. Uh, Cincinnati hasn't played yet. Memphis is taking a break. It, it's AAC, Sunbelt, uh, Big 12, well, some of the teams in the Big 12, and ACC, and, and we still have SEC. Big 10 looks like they may be coming back. I, I know there's some Twitter rumors, October 17. I'll believe it when I see it. I think I think folks are... The writing's on the wall, and the Big Ten realizes that, oh, crap, people are actually playing. Just because we're not playing doesn't mean that they're not going to play. And that is, they're starting to realize the money's going out the door. They can do it safely. Fans can be in the stands. When Notre Dame has fans in the stands, and they're playing at home against Duke, and by the way, they did not look too good, and Ian Book, I I heard all preseason really really quick aside here I heard all preseason Notre Dame is going to be better but how are you going to be better when you lose Chase Claypool and Cole Komet and offensively they aren't and do 
Duke, I think, is okay, but I they shouldn't be that close to Notre Dame. And it really took Chase Bryce just get running for his life um, and, and a few tip passes to, to get Notre Dame back in that game. And that does not bode well for Notre Dame, especially against Duke at home. That's a team you're supposed to bury. You're supposed to win big and not be, you know, chomping your fingernails in the fourth quarter. Uh, what else? NFL. Yeah, so college football, I I went 3-1. and one. Army I barely misses the cover in the first half. Would have been a 4-0 and oh pick day. 3-1, and one, we'll take it. We move on to the NFL. Just decimates me every year. I, I never have a handle on the NFL. Went 0-2-1. Uh, just not a fun <laughs> fun weekend for, for NFL picks. Up 28 units on college football. I think I'm down five on the NFL to start. Uh, so not not a great start, Bob. But NFL, obviously Tom Brady looked uh, – it looks – I think that has a look of a team that's going to get there eventually – but it's going to be a slow roll into it. I know they wanted to get Gronk. Brady was pressing a little bit. And that offensive line I have some real problems with. They they look like they were having trouble blocking uh, pressure up front. I thought the Jags, the Jags out of nowhere, Minshew goes 14-15. Uh, just impressive. And they got a little bit of a running game. DJ Chark, that defense, they they stepped up. And even though they gutted the whole defense, they still got guys back there playing. C.J. Henderson with a big INT after getting burned. Uh, I, I like the, the Jags might not be the doormat this year, which is very interesting. They beat a good Colts team, um, who I think uh, with, with Jonathan Taylor look like he uh, he proved everybody that he can catch passes too. And he that makes him a very scary prospect going forward the rest of the year for that Colts offense. Certainly something to help out Phillip Rivers. And, uh, of course, you know, we could go down the list, but I'll just give a quick shout-out to my Lions who went same old Lions. And no lead is safe. Going into the fourth quarter, you're up 17, and they blow – a 17-point lead to Mitch Trubisky. I think I read a stat that the NFL teams with a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter are like 703 in the last the last what, how many ever games. Like the win percentage is like 99%. You win because 17 points is just in the NFL is insane to make up. It's insane to make up. So, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not too cognizant of uh, uh, our chances to even make the playoffs. I think you know you go on the road to Green Bay, you've got Minnesota, and then you've got New Orleans, and it, it starts to look like a very long season if you're a Lions fan yet again. But you know that's par for the course. So that's a quick rundown. NFL College next week. We're going to go deep dive NFL a little bit more. Got a few guests lined up for that, so stay tuned. But today, 
Today we get into the SEC East. We're going to start with Dr. SEC. Um, Really cool dude. Really knowledgeable. And I love his hot takes. He comes in with some fire and he's opinionated and and you got to love it. So enjoy the episode. Remember, at StuCast Sports on Twitter, like, rate, subscribe, give us a review. Those five-star reviews help, uh, especially when I go to sell this uh, pod to some advertisers. So please help out and uh, enjoy your week. Good luck at the windows, and we will see you next week. Well, before we get into this SEC preview with the Bobcat here, there's no better person to diagnose what's going to happen in this SEC than the good doctor himself, Dr. SEC. You can find him at the Dr. SEC on Twitter. Hey, brother, thanks for coming on and, and good to be chatting with you tonight. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, man, I... I recently just started going down the wormhole that is SEC Twitter, and uh, you're one of the the first ones that popped up, and and I love the fact that you you come in with some fiery takes, uh, and and I know SEC football's full of them, but did I read right? Uh, you got you love you some Kenny Seals. You got to talk to me about this. Yeah, Ken Sills, man, I'm a big fan of his. I, I watched him. You know, he, he missed a year of football uh, his sophomore year because he transferred schools, even though they went through the proper protocols and all of that. They didn't allow him to play his sophomore year. Junior year came in and had a really good season. You saw there was a couple games there. You know, he was getting back in the flow of missing a year of football. But he's a guy I really believe that can be that next franchise quarterback at Vanderbilt. They, they really got a hard, hard road ahead of them. I wouldn't throw them to the, to the Wolves to start the year. But to me, we know with Vanderbilt's schedule, they're going to have a rough year. I mean, this nobody almost nobody's hurt as much as Vanderbilt is by the schedule being cut down to all SEC. But if Derek Mason can get, can get seals established, I think he's a guy that you're going to see that's really going really to impress over the years. He played big-time football in the state of Texas and played at a high level and did it really, really well. So I've been a big fan of his for a while. I've had him on my show a couple times. He's a guy that gets it, man, just really smart and really, really impressed. They didn't have but a few practices before they had to shut it down, but he was definitely the best quarterback out there despite, you know, just getting on campus in the spring. That's good to hear because I – I've always been a, a fan of the Commodores. They're kind of like uh, I'm. I'm uh, from Big Ten country, and they're like our Northwestern. Very prestigious academically, god awful on the gridiron. Although Vanderbilt's got a much better history than Northwestern, but it's nice to see that that program coming up soon. I know I I wasn't planning on talking to you about Vandy, but you know. I'm pretty sure they're leading off the the bottom of our uh, our team or division previews coming up. Is it going to get better before it gets worse, or is Derek Mason even going to be around to see this thing turn around? You know, I it's really it's it's a really interesting thing because we kind of set that goal of what Derek Mason needed to be able to do this year uh, to keep his job. 
Well, all of that really changed when you went down to just an all SEC schedule. And so I, I really believe he's got to find a way to at least pull out a couple of games. And you look at the schedule and you think, man, it's not going to be easy because they're breaking in a new quarterback. They're, listen, they had a lot of firepower last year. Uh, they made a bad change at offensive coordinator, didn't work out. And I credit Mason for making the change after one year. But they lost a lot of firepower that didn't really show last year but did the year before. And it's going to be tough for this team. I do like the hires he made in the offseason, but he's going to have to find a way to, to, to really get out a few wins. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's tough to win at Vanderbilt because they are a lot like Stanford and Northwestern where the academic, you know, is, are so high and, and, and such. But he followed James Franklin. And James Franklin, you can't, like, as far as coaching and being around all these coaches, he's one of the top five coaches I've ever been around. I'm a real believer in him. And, um, you know, the reality is he won nine games back-to-back, the most wins they've ever had in a season. He did it back-to-back. And, Mason had to try to follow that, and he, you know, sunk and kind of got it back up again. But it's it's really difficult looking at the schedule this year. I mean, who do you, who can they beat? Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Those are you know they've got to win two of those three games. Maybe South Carolina in there. They've got to win two of those three games to have a to have a chance to keep them. I think. You know, and just looking at the SEC, you mentioned South Carolina there. It, to me, am, am I crazy for saying that the, at least this year, the difference between the Vols, the Wildcats, and the Gamecocks is uh, almost negligible? Like, they all seem like they're teams with talent that are on the cusp of something. You just can't tell what it is. Well, I, I would agree with you, except for Kentucky. I, I really, really like Kentucky. I think they're going to shock a lot of teams this year. I've actually got them beating Auburn in the opener. Um, I think they've got a good chance to beat Florida. And, and you know, really, I, you know, you look at what Stoops has done. I mean, think about this. Two years ago, they win 10 games, right? I mean, just a phenomenal season, one of the best seasons in the history of the program. Last year, you know, a lot of people uh, – uh, a look at that and say, well, you know, hey, eight wins is pretty good for Kentucky. Well, think about this. Eight wins is pretty good for Kentucky when they had a wide receiver playing quarterback. I mean, this – and this team has so much talent coming back. They're going to have their quarterback back. I think that Kentucky could finish second or third in the SEC East this year. I'm really, really a big fan of these Wildcats. They, I, I, they've got almost double the amount of players coming back with a 70 – rate or higher uh, than, than program like Auburn does. I mean, a lot of people are sleeping on this team. The offensive line is going to be really, really good. The defense is going to be very, very, very solid. And then, again, it's going to come to the passing game. But I, I really like some of the things that Kentucky has. So Kentucky is, is definitely my surprise team for the year. But I think you're on track. I mean, there's – to me, when you look at – I take that at Kentucky. I'm not as big of a buyer on Florida as everybody else is. I think Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, those three teams are three teams that could be interchangeable this year, could really kind of go, you know, in a similar path. That's that's really interesting. We'll circle back to that because I, I also wanted to get your take on the Gamecocks. Uh, look, I, you know, Ryan Holinsky, God bless the kid. You know, he's been through some rough times and, and, you know, I just really like Will Muschamp. I mean, he's one hell of a uh, press press conference coach. 
Uh, he's very animated, and I think he'll turn the program um, and return it back to, you know, some some viability. I guess is the right way to say it. But I, what what do you make of this Colorado State offense? And we're and we're bringing in uh, the transfer kid from uh, Colorado State, and, and he might actually beat out Holinsky. What uh, is? Are the Gamecocks, are they going backwards, or do you think that's a forward move? Well, I think I think they did a great job of bringing Mike Bobo in. I think Mike Bobo is a quarterback that – or excuse me, well, he was a quarterback, but he, he's an offensive coordinator that, that really knows how to get out of his quarterbacks. He knows how to put them in good situations to, to, really, to really, you know, play their best football. And, and I'm a real big-time believer in Mike Bobo as an offensive coordinator. I think it was a great hire. That's why I'm hopeful that they're able to buy some time uh, to go into next season that Muschamp doesn't catch the ax this year because I really do like a lot of what, what they're bringing in, a lot of what they're doing. And it's, it's just going to be interesting to, going to be interesting to see, but I like Mike Bobo. I think he'll get the most out of the quarterback position. I think he always has. You look at his record at Georgia. I mean, just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal offensive play caller. People will say it's a little old school um, for, for what people are doing now, but I'll say this. I think that's what you need at South Carolina. And the key is going to be, and this is why I'm a little bit concerned about him, the key is going to be the running back position. I thought Marshawn Lloyd, I still believe Marshawn Lloyd is the future of that program. He's one of the top three backs in the SEC coming in this year, without a doubt. I thought he was going to break that challenge, at least to break that 1,000 yard rushing mark that they haven't had in uh, several years. That's what also Bobo's really good at, the running back position using those. But Marshawn Lloyd being out for the season, I think it's going to be tough for South Carolina. Man, you stole you stole my very next question. Uh, yeah, that, that really – I was so excited to see him play. Um, it, it, it's a real bummer that he's he's out for the season. And, and I think it really hurts their chances, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the volunteers. I've talked to a lot of Bama friends, and they are all on the same kind of level that Jeremy Pruitt. Maybe, maybe he's a year early. Maybe, maybe it's a year too early. But he's building something. And we were talking before this. We started recording. Recruiting uh, is is something that Tennessee uh, was, was woefully uh, going down the drain in. And he's turned that ship around. Uh, do we see his recruiting classes, his team start to start to pop up here? Yeah, I think he's doing. I think he's doing a really good job recruiting. I think what he's doing that is is really kind of special right now is he is finding some three star guys, especially that really are underrated, that are guys that really should be four stars and and challenge it even on the top tier of that four star. They're doing a really good job of, one, evaluating talent, and number two, they're doing a good job of finding, especially at the running back position, uh, they're doing a great job of finding guys that fit Chaney's system. And Chaney, if you give him good running backs, I mean, you think about what he did at Georgia. He had, you know, no team has ever done this in the history of college football. They had back-to-back seasons with two 1,000-yard rushers in the backfield. And he leaves and heads to Tennessee, and you look at the drop off of Jake Fromm. I mean, it was it was yeah. it was bad. And the reason was Jake Fromm really was never that good. 
But Cheney is the best in the business. I talked a little bit about Bobo doing it, but Cheney is the best in the business, in my opinion, at hiding deficiencies of a quarterback. He knows how, and you'll get frustrated and say, oh, you could do more, you could do more, you could open it up a bit. But he knows the limitations of his quarterback, and he knows how to put them in the right position. So if you give him good running backs, he's, he's, going, to, he's going to excel with it. And they've got some guys that are getting ready to come in that are going to be exceptional, especially next year's class at running back. But Eric Gray, of course, is going to be phenomenal, I think, this year at running back. I, I had him in my top ten breakout players this year. So I think Tennessee is headed in the right direction. And here's the thing you, you kind of alluded to, and you're absolutely correct about. Jeremy Pruitt is, is a guy that has to get – not everybody can play for Jeremy Pruitt. Not everybody can coach under Jeremy Pruitt. He's a different personality. That's why you've seen him kind of bounce around a little bit in his career as a coordinator. You've seen him, you know, successful. He was an Alabama defense back coach, goes to Florida State one year, wins a national championship, and fields the best statistic defense they've ever had leaves after one year, goes to Georgia. Kind of rebuilds things in Georgia, jumps around, goes to Alabama, and then he finally gets that job as a head coach. But he, he's got a different personality. But he – and he had to weed out some, some guys, especially early last – or the year before in the first part of this past season. But I think he's done it now. I think he's got a they're, – they're going to get the most out of what they got. And then I think what you're going to see is next year especially – you're going to see some of that that talent begin to to build up and some of that depth that they need. You think they get a a landmark victory, let's say this year, and that would, to me, that that's a Bama, that's a Georgia, um, that's beating Florida. Do you think they they're able to take out one of those three teams? Yeah, I I do believe that. Again, I think that Tennessee's on the right track. I think they're they're still not ready to compete with. Georgia and Alabama just yet. I think they've got a real good shot at Florida, depending how much this defense progresses from last season. But I think they're really about a year away from, from really beginning to compete, maybe two years away from really competing for the SEC East. But here's the difference. Any team can flash up for a year. I think what Jeremy Pruitt's doing is he's building something that long-term that now Georgia and potentially Florida – have somebody to worry, a third team to worry about. It's really, it's really been a, a two race, a two team race for for quite a while now. But I think Tennessee has a real good shot of getting back up there again. So we're only left uh, with Florida and Georgia, and we have uh, David Waters and and Georgia Football Live coming on to dissect those two teams uh, in depth. But I'll leave you with this: we look at the situation at quarterback for Florida and Kyle Trask, who came on and was a world better than Felipe Franks. And he turned that Florida team into something really impressive last year. Um, he, his numbers were great. He, he was making good decisions. He's, he's a stud QB. And you look at Georgia, and we, we were going to go with Jamie Newman, who, uh, you know, some people like, some people didn't. I thought he was going to work out good. And, and now JT Daniel, and we don't know his injury situation. Uh, Florida just seems like they're the safer pick in the SEC East. Am I missing something on them? Well, here's why I'm not as high on Florida as everybody else. First of all, I'm not as high on Florida as everybody else because, number one, we're tending to look over what they lost on offense and, and heighten what Georgia lost. 
But think about this. They lost four of their top six wide receivers. They lost their running back. You know, they and, and a lot of Trask's success was, you know, those quick slants, those quick outs, and those receivers breaking it. So I think they lost quite a bit more on offense than people want to talk about. Losing that much power at wide receiver, when you've got to go from being a, a fourth or fifth guy to the number one guy, that's a bigger jump than people realize, although they do have a, a tremendous tight end, obviously. But here's the difference between Georgia and everybody else to me. Georgia gave up 18 points or more one time last season. One time, that was the LSU. Only one team scored 18 points. They are going to be better on defense this year. They've got 17 guys on that roster that have played considerable, which you could consider starter minutes. On top of that, the number one recruiting class coming in. This defense is going to be as, as good as we've seen in quite a few years. And so who, how, is anybody going, how is anybody going to score points on this team Alabama's got a shot, has got a shot, but outside of that, I don't think Florida can do it. Dan Mullen has never scored points on Georgia, and I don't see him, you know, last year going into the fourth quarter, Florida only had about 135 yards. Now, you lose all that offensive talent. Now, Georgia went to prevent defense, and they got a couple touchdowns late, but, but they only had three points and 125, 135 yards headed into that fourth quarter. I don't know how anybody scores on Georgia. Now, I like Georgia better when they had Jamie Newman because of his ability to run the football. But yep. JT Daniels doesn't have to be great. JT Daniels is, it to me, is is more talented than Fromm is. But I think the other thing, and, and I don't want to go too long. I know you got other guests coming on about this, but the one thing that people aren't taking into consideration is the upgrade that was made on the coaching staff at Georgia. I, I've got to tell you, you know, you won't find a, a much worse offensive coordinator that did worse than Cooley did last year by the fact he could only get a tight end job this year, you know, when you're the offensive <laughs> coordinator at Georgia. But they didn't just upgrade there. They brought in Matt Luke as an offensive line coach, yep. but a guy that knows how to call plays. They brought in a guy like Buster Faulkner, who, who's a tremendous, uh, a tremendous call, uh, play caller, another great offensive mind. And then you look at bringing in Todd Munkin at offensive coordinator. They are going to be better on offense, even though they lost some talent. They're going to be better just by design. They were so poorly coached on the offensive side of the football last season, and they still were able to do what they did because of the defense. I think that the play calling, and more importantly, the, the room between Matt Luke, Faulkner, and, 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 and um, who did I forget? Oh, <laughs> the offensive coordinator, uh, Munkin. I, I think that those guys, with those guys in the room together, those three guys, they're going to be schematically much, much better this season. And so now I'm not saying it's going to translate into a lot more points, but remember their last six SEC opponents, Georgia only averaged 19 points per game, and they still won that many football games. I just don't see anybody outside of Alabama and the SEC that can line up with Georgia, and I don't think Florida can do it. I think, once again, the talent gap is much, much larger than people realize. Before, before I let you go, i got to ask you, just entire SEC-wide, what is what is the biggest surprise that you think we're going to see this year? I think it goes back to what I said before. I think Kentucky. I think Kentucky is going to absolutely shock people. I, I think that this Kentucky team is going to be really, really good. And I think what you've got to look at this season, because you remember no spring practices, right? Shorten weird practices for – 
heading up to the season. I think we're going to see more defensive football like we were used to in the SEC because there's not really a lot of elite quarterbacks in this league anymore with, with Tua gone, with Burroughs gone, with those guys gone. I, I think that defense is going to travel a lot better than we've seen the last couple of years. And I think Kentucky's got one of the best in the conference. I think getting their quarterback back and his ability to get first downs with speed, I think Kentucky by far will be the biggest surprise this year. Man, I I really kind of love that pick. I'm very I'm very bullish on what Terry Wilson can do. I mean, we saw a glimpse of it at the start of last season uh, before he was injured. Um, and you're right. I mean, they, just on paper, I mean, if they just take another small step forward, that's going to be a really tough team. Yeah, um, and this, this secondary, that secondary is going to be really, really good. People don't realize how, you know, they, they're losing a little bit on the defensive line. But, they, I mean, they're going to be stacked in that secondary and at that linebacker position. They've got three or four running backs that can carry the rock. They've got a quarterback that can pick up first downs. If their defense plays better than they did, played good last year, but they play better than that, it's going to be a big season for the Wildcats. Man, I love that pick. Where, where can the good people find you, uh, Dr. SEC? And, again, thank you for coming on. Hey, man, I've enjoyed it. And any time, the best way is go to twitter.com backslash D-D-R-S-E-C, and there they can figure out how to get to um, the, the radio station, they get the radio show, they can get to uh, Roku TV, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, all of those networks, and uh, they can find it all there or at the website, secradio.live. Now, on, on Roku, because I'm actually, while we're chatting, I'm, I'm trying to search for it. Do I just search the waiting room with Dr. SEC? Nope, just put in uh, Dr. SEC um, or uh, Dr. SEC TV. Any of those should pull up. Okay. And and I see it right here. Thank, thank you for that. I it, This is going to be uh, some viewing, and I'm going to have this on in the background while I'm doing work. So I appreciate that. Um, thank you again, Miss. Uh, you know, it, it's really great it, what I found about SEC uh, folks such as yourself that that put in a lot of time and a lot of effort into combing this uh, this great conference, the best conference, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, very giving and very thoughtful with your time, and you're very uh, in tune with how you guys follow all these teams so well. I have no idea. We certainly don't do it well in the Big Ten. <laughs> well, I appreciate being on the show, man, and I. Hey, you've got a couple of heavyweights on the show today, so I appreciate uh, being in the lineup with them. Hey, much love to you, Doc. And uh, we'll see you down the road, and, and we'll head into our SEC East preview right now. All right, thank you to Dr. SEC for coming on and setting the table for me and my returning co-host on this SEC preview. He's a lover of bourbon and sour beers. He's an Alabama native and alumni. He's the defeated people's champ, our mega friend to the podcast, the Bobcat, John Cassarani. John, thank you for uh, last week, and, and it's great to have you back again this week. What's going on, people? Roll damn tide. We're going to talk about the SEC today. I got it out of me. I didn't say it last week. I didn't want to come off well, as you Well, you were being judicious, but we're in the East now, so roll damn, I guess. Roll damn tide, boys. We in the SEC East, which is going to be a gauntlet, too. I'm not, I'm not knocking them. 
I think the SECs will will be survival of the fittest. Darwinism. I, and at the end of this uh, show today, I want your your playoff Final Four. But you know what? I'll tell you what. The SEC is going to be some amazing football. There's so many storylines, and it, and it's not just at the top. It's all the way to the bottom too. And I Hell think yeah. it's in a way that ACC and the Big Twelve miss because, you know. Cool, Les Miles is going into year two at Kansas. That's a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> you know, like, who really cares? Uh, the ACC, Duke, you know, a lot of people don't even know Duke has a football team. It, uh, and with Rousseau leaving Miami, it's really a two-and-a-half team fight to, to see who's going to be challenging Clemson in the, uh, in the ACC championship. So, I, I mean, the SEC from top to bottom, east and west, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's always been your better conference. Uh, I, you know, I love, I'm a lover of college football. You know, we discuss, you know, I can watch ULL and, and whoever. I can watch South Alabama play uh, Southern Miss. And hey, those Jaguars, thank you for the tip. The Jaguars just dominating Southern Miss, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vegas didn't give them a shot. They pick up a lot of really The line really moved talent. like eight or nine points. Yeah, but they, they pick up a ton of talent from Mobile and Baldwin County, Alabama. For all you Alabama listeners, you know where that's at, so. A lot of talent down there in them 6A schools. Those guys, you know, they're, they're competing with five stars around them. So they might not, they might not be but a two-star or three-star. So they're going to go to South Alabama, stay close to home, so mom and dad can watch them in that brand-new stadium. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I love South Alabama. I just love college football. But I, I don't think we have another conference. Even if, you know, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were playing, you know, I don't – I can watch Iowa – play any day of the week right I, in Purdue but at the end of the day I think the SEC only has one dumpster fire and that's Vanderbilt but uh and and you know I didn't think they were gonna be a dumpster fire but I think they've lost the most players I think they lost six but Dimitri Moore opted back in uh so they've lost five which isn't good for anybody in in Nashville so but yeah that's a good segue into that obviously Vanderbilt's my bottom team in the SEC East brother and I, don't and I hate that I you hate to see it, uh, and I'm not meaning it in the Jared Carabas way. I, I mean, Vanderbilt is what Northwestern is to the Big Ten. Like every once in a long while, they'll have a good team, and you root for them. I, I just love me some Commodores, man. I mean, you know, back in the Jay, Jay Cutler days, and and pulling off an upset in the swamp, you just love to see it. Uh, Derek Mason, I had high hopes when he took over this program, but man, oh man. I mean, he's had a couple good seasons. Um, you know, uh, I look back at that 18 team with a ton of talent. I look back at that uh, 13 team that was very uh, solid. It was a solid team, but whew. You know, coming off a three and nine season, I guess the only saving grace is they've got a lot of young, unproven guys that are uh, that are kind of interesting, like Kenny Seals. Right. So I'm going to go back to that that opt out. The five players that opted out, four out of the five, Allen, were offensive linemen. Okay, it's including Spinellis. I think that's how you pronounce his Didn't name. Didn't they get one of them back recently? Didn't they well, that's Dimitri back. Moore. That's a linebacker. Um, okay. 
and I apologize if you guys hear the train. Uh, it's pretty loud today in the city. But, uh, no, Demetri Moore's a linebacker, but they've lost four offensive linemen, including Spinellis. He's the Michigan transfer man. He was actually, like, he's supposed to start this year, supposed to be, like, big deal. They also lost Jonathan Stewart. You know, he made a couple of starts last year, uh, played in 10 games overall. But the, the real big, big loss is, uh, is definitely Cole Clemens and Bryce Bailey, two other offensive linemen or offensive linemen, I should say. Uh, I, I don't like that offensive line, especially when we look at, you know, wh what is Derek Mason going to do? Shout out to Derek Mason. I think he'd win in a fist fight against any of the damn football coaches in the SEC. But when I, I look at Jamari Wakefield, the running back, and I look at Kenyon Brooks, the second string running back, and I look at Ken Seals, true freshman, Jeremy Musa, the, the, the junior, uh, quarterbacks, I'm like, man, you guys are going to get crushed. That offensive line is – I hurting. guess the only saving grace is they return their entire defense. Well, it, but, Allen, they have one right guard, one left guard, and just one backup at center, one backup at, at left tackle, and they don't even have a right tackle on their depth chart as of right now. Is this, is this the last season for Derek Mason? Absolutely. Yeah, I think – so – Vanderbilt is really, really academically elite for the SEC. You know, I, I think that they, you know, they, they do compete with Northwestern when it comes to, like, academics. They're also a really great baseball school. And they're in one of the greatest locations in America, Nashville. They, they have a really solid fan base. Tennessee, sure, they're the bigger school there in, in Knoxville, but Nashville has a solid fan base. And, and I, I – Look, it's look. He's gone twenty-seven and forty-seven. I mean, this is his seventh season. Vandy is the Detroit Lions to me, and that they will keep a, a, a head coach for years beyond Allen. his prime. Who? I mean, who's taking the Vandy job? Who? And especially in this year with COVID, nobody's getting fired. I, although I did hear that uh, there was some rumors that maybe Southern Miss's head coach might get fired. Um, <laughs> It, which out. is – it's just crazy because, look, I mean, who are you going to get to – nobody's moving into a situation, especially right now. It's going to be so hard to get any new coach in there. I, I mean, Derek Mason is – when you lose Keyshawn Vaughn, who was the heart and soul of that team, you lose your starting quarterback. You lose your top wide out. You lose your entire offensive line for the most part. Yeah, I mean, he's got some <laughs> excuses built in, and, and who else has taken this program anywhere? I mean, he was, up until last year, uh, having a, he, he had a respectable-ish record, especially be, being Vanderbilt. I, I think he deserves one more year, but, yeah, I can see it. I am excited for Kenny Seals, though. I am excited to see what that kid can do. Right. I I agree with you there. I don't think he's going to do much. There's six offensive linemen on, on the roster right now. Six. There's five positions that, that are on the offensive line. Granted, you know, you got two tight ends. Maybe one of them big enough uh, <laughs> to, to fill a gap. But I, I don't have them winning a single game this year, Alan. I really don't. I don't have – I mean, their schedule is absolutely brutal. They start off at Texas A&M. Then they've got LSU coming to Vandy. Then they've got South Carolina coming to Nashville. Then they have to go to Missouri, and then they get a bye week. But then after their bye week, it's just, holy cow, what do you do? 
They're playing Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, and then finishing it up with Georgia. I don't have them winning a damn game, and I'm okay with that. When you got six offensive linemen and you only have – dude, there's, there's, there's three wide-out positions, right? So any team would want like seven or eight wideouts. Dude, they've got five. They have five on the roster. They only have three defensive tackles on that defense. I'm t- I, their roster is worse than LSU's. And LSU recruits a hell of a lot better. Vanderbilt doesn't recruit. Maybe they give Derek Mason another COVID-19 free year to see what the hell he can do, but they're not recruiting very well right now. And I, I don't like him sticking around. And, and I, don't, I don't think we give enough credit to, to oh, what's his name at Penn State, uh, Coach Franklin, for what he was able to do in Nashville, right? I think yeah. Coach Franklin's a hell of a coach. I keep saying that. I, I will disagree with you. I think he is a horrible play-by-play coach, but a uh, hell of a recruiter and hell of a motivator. I'll give you that. He but. did great in Nashville, and I think people don't understand that. And I don't know who would take the, the Vandy job if it were to come open. Probably nobody that we've ever heard of. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't have him winning a single game. All right, where else are we going in the SEC? Who is – I mean, Vandy's certainly in the basement. Who's, uh, uh, you know, on the steps outside of the basement? Well, we're going far west in the SEC East, and we're going to go to Missouri. Aren't uh, they in the SEC West? Uh, no, they're in the SEC East. Okay, well, that makes but a lot of sense. <laughs> they're, they're far west out there. Um, I don't want to give up Auburn, so we're going to keep them in the East. Um, okay. That's my opinion. But, yeah, man, I've got them winning two games. Not really high on them. I have no idea what to expect out of this Mizzou team. Their schedule, just like Vanderbilt's, is pretty brutal. The first three games of the year, Alabama, Tennessee, LSU. And then they get, a, they get an easy W at Vanderbilt to, to be able to kiss their mama when they, when they leave the stadium. Uh, but then they've got Florida and Kentucky and then Georgia. I, well, I feel sorry what, for them. Here, here's the one caveat. I, I – I agree the schedule is tough. However, I am a big fan of Eli Drinkwitz. He was the catalyst at Appalachian State. And Appalachian State is a very viable program now. Um, It is, yeah. I I mean, I'm going to give you that, but it ain't the SEC. It ain't. It ain't. But Eli can coach up some talent. Right, and you give them a little bit better talent. Uh, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain for how he's recruiting now. But look, you, you've got you've got to replace Kelly Bryant, um, who who came from Clemson to Missouri. But realistically, you're replacing him with Sean Robinson, uh, who's a transfer from TCU and sat out last year. I'm excited to see this kid play. I remember him at TCU, and there was a lot of talk uh, about him. And you know, Gary Patterson doesn't—he uh, doesn't—he doesn't bring kids that aren't ready to play into the uh, into the family. So you're returning your top um, wideout or your second wideout, your top running backs. Uh, the defense stays mostly intact. Uh, Again, you know, yes, it's it's a first year coach, but I'm kind of excited to see what Missouri can do. I I don't think they're very far away from being a, a competitive team in these. So they're recruiting okay right now for next year for 21. All right, they, in 2020 they finished 51st overall, 13th in the SEC, just right above Vanderbilt in terms of recruiting. 
2021, they're, they're 29th right now, and they're ninth in the SEC. It's still very early. Early signing day is a couple months away, three months away. Uh, hey, remember not... that time when Alabama was 47th? Yeah, earlier in March, yeah. They were in trouble. <laughs> now they're top-ranked or second. It depends. What Minnesota's out recruiting uh, Alabama. <laughs> we won't we won't name names but we, <laughs> we know who says that but i i just i man other than vanderbilt and in arkansas who's missouri beating they are not beating alabama they're not beating tennessee yeah that's true they're not beating a depleted lsu hell no i'm not ta- i don't like them man i got them winning two games that's vanderbilt and that's arkansas and to be honest with you man i can see arkansas getting a w there That'll be a very feisty game. It'll be a fun I think that'll game. be a very good betting game. Yes, that'll be a really good betting game. I think you'll have bottom tier of the West versus bottom tier of the East, and, and you'll kind of you know slug it out to, to just reaffirm that the West is a better division than the East. Shout out to the West. You know what's really interesting about the East versus the West is I think in the West you have a clear-cut top two, and you have a lot of teams that are – who knows what they're going to be? Who knows how, how they're going to adapt? Um, and so there's a lot up for grabs. Absolutely. In the East, though, after you get past Missouri and Vanderbilt, it seems like some killers. Get, give us a little insight. Let's go one team here. Um, who's the team that's on the outside looking in in that top five? Oh, it's got it, to be Kentucky. Oh, um, I don't – oof. I got to – listen to me, man. I got to – I have to ride with Kentucky at about four or five wins, right? There's a, there's another team. I'm not going to comment on that team right now. I really – I really like Kentucky going into Auburn. I really – I'm really high on Stoops' defense. Super high on them. Week one at Auburn. I see them squeaking out a W there. They could. I mean, I, I think right now, as of right now, as of date of filming – I'm not confident, but I, it's going to be a must-watch TV against Auburn because uh, I, I think Auburn's going to come in thinking Kentucky's just a pushover without Bowden. But, man, I, man, I love Kentucky. I, I like Kentucky. They, they for, are for people that aren't tracking Lynn Bowden, who's now with the uh, Vegas Raiders, and that's wild yet fun to say. Uh, Lynn Bowden was a converted wide receiver to quarterback because he played in high school. And he right. led the team in passing, in running. Uh, he was one of the leaders in receiving. The kid did everything. And he, but he took over for Terry Wilson. And I got to tell you, I mean, that Kentucky team was fun as hell to watch last year. And they were dangerous, certainly. But they're bringing the whole cast back. And I'm, I'm very bullish on Kentucky. I mean, what, what is their ceiling? I think the Kentucky ceiling – it, it, you know, if they get that, if they pick up that W at Auburn, that, that, that would obviously move them into five, six game winning territory. Uh, I, I like them to, to maybe at Tennessee, man, at Tennessee week four. So let's, let us not forget in 2020, they were in the top 25 recruiting classes. I think they were right at 25th. Uh, they hey, they got a lot of talent. I think that they'll be able, they're, they're going to compete with Tennessee it's just, you know, week four, we're going to find out, is Tennessee or Kentucky better? I talked to uh, Scott Bernstein on a previous podcast. He's a recruiting expert in the Midwest, and, and we were talking. Coach, 
Stoops is just pillaging the Midwest. Absolutely. Yeah. He came he, into Michigan and got three of the top 12 players to come commit to Kentucky. Never before seen. And well, now, t- now you got Alabama taking the top player out of Michigan, LSU taking the number two or number three guy, depending on your rankings. And, and the SEC, he opened up the doors for the SEC in Michigan. And Kentucky is quietly recruiting extremely well. You got a, a very good coach who's in his eighth year now uh, that is ready to go. He's got the staff. He's got good players. I'm very excited about Terry, uh, Terry Wilson, Wilson coming back. I'm very yeah. excited. Well, I, I tell you, you talk about the Michigan just going up there and snagging recruits out of Michigan. He snagged Justin Rogers, a defensive tackle. He's like 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds. Man, he's going to be a monster. And then they went and plucked Michael Drennan out of Ohio. And that's an all-purpose yeah. back. You know, he, he's 5'11". He's, he's under 200 pounds. I think he's going to gain some weight. Uh, I love – this Mark Stoops team. A.J. Rose is going to be a nice running back. I'm just – this is where the tough part is because between the SEC East, I feel like you have Tennessee, Kentucky, and South Carolina, and it's a very uneven, uh, enviable task, I I should say, to to try and rank them because they're all very – they're on the cusp. And and one of them is going to make a jump this year. One of them is going to make a jump. No, man, I'm not going to agree with you on the South Carolina take. It's Kentucky and Tennessee right there. South Carolina's up there already. No. Ah, okay. Well, that that's a preview of coming attractions. We're going to move on from Kentucky after this. But before we do, Ryan Dickey with some SEC East predictions, some betting angles, trends, over-unders, whatever he wants. He's going to give you some betting angles to think about. And we'll be back, and we'll head down to, I guess, Knoxville after this, uh, right after Ryan Dickey. All right, back again, our friend, our Vegas insider, Ryan Dickey. Ryan, thanks for coming back, man. Hey, no no problem. Thanks again for having me. All right, so we, we looked at the West last week. You gave some some angles, some some bets you're keying in on, some things you like. Looking over at the east, obviously Florida and Georgia at the top. Uh, anything you like, or how do you gain value uh, in these over/under totals uh, when you got two really heavy hitters at the top? Well, like I said last week, with the schedule going all SEC, instead of playing eight games against their conference opponents, they're going to be playing ten this year. And for some teams. The, the two additional teams that they added was good for their schedule. And for, for some, it was bad. I think Missouri, uh, they're at three and a half for the win totals. I think this team could be improved this year. And it's one of those things where early on uh, in the season, we'll see what they're made of. I mean, they're going to go against Alabama in week one. I obviously don't think that that's going to be a win for them. They're not going to go to Tuscaloosa. I'm sorry, they, they're at home in Columbia. I don't think that they're going to win uh, at home against Alabama. I think the spread on that game for the first week is Alabama 22. So even on the road, roll tide. But the second week of the season, they play at Tennessee. I think this is one of those games where they could go into Knoxville and shock Tennessee and, and get their first win of the season after only two weeks. And then to win the over bet, you need to win three more um, games for the rest of the season. 
Week number four, they're uh, at home against Vanderbilt. I think they can win that game. And then late in the season, now their, their over bet is going to really come down to the last three weeks of the season. The last three weeks of the season, they're at South Carolina. I think they could win that game, especially if they're going to be improved this year. They host Arkansas, which should easily be a win. And then when it all comes down to it, it all depends on at Mississippi State, how will the Mississippi State team be at the end of the year? Will they have, you know, caught on to the air raid? Will they be ready to go? How will Kylan Hill be doing? I think it all comes down to the last game of the season. And I think Missouri, with a, an improved team, I think they have a chance uh, in that game in the first first uh, year under uh, Mike Leach. All righty. So first week, uh, you've got the lines in front of you. Yeah. What are you doing for these SEC games? Well, I do like Auburn a lot, uh, minus the eight. I said that last week. Um, Tennessee – I think this is one of those things where Tennessee is at South Carolina. I think they win in week one at South Carolina. They're a three-point favorite, and I think they come home uh, against Missouri. I think they're going to be a little, you know, overconfident, and I think Missouri has a chance to sneak in there and, and win that game. So I'll, I'll take Tennessee in, in the week one minus three at South Carolina, but then I'm going to play against them the following week. I think Missouri at Tennessee might be a uh, nice underdog bet. Other than that, I mean, there's a big lines on every game. Texas A&M's a 30-point favorite against Vanderbilt. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be very good this year. They may win one game under Derek Mason. They may win zero games. You know, so, you know, I'm, I don't know if I want to lay 30 points in the first week of the season, um, Texas A&M or Vanderbilt at Texas A&M. But then LSU is an 18-point favorite to Mississippi State. I think that's going to be a, a, a real tough one. And I think we talked about last week about how LSU has lost so many players. That might be one where you might just take the dog and uh, hope you don't get blown out. Well, I, I love it, man. I, I think you're absolutely right. Mississippi State with those points, I wouldn't be surprised to see that line come down five, six, seven points at all, one bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully we're going to be able to have you around during the season to get your, your lines, your takes, uh, you know, on a somewhat regular basis. Um, in addition to all the uh, horse racing services, I, I ask of you, um, where can the good people check you out, man? Well, I'm on Twitter at uh, rdickey249. All right. That is our Vegas insider. The, the beautiful one himself. Ryan Dickey. Ryan, thank you. And we'll be back with this SEC East preview. We're going to keep the show rolling right after this. Hey, everybody. It's Stu from the StuCast inviting you to check out the Starter Allowance podcast hosted by Andrew Grismore. Every single week, he's dropping great content with amazing guests and a lively handicapping roundtable looking at big races every single week across the country. Check him out wherever you're getting your podcasts. He is part of the StuCast Sports Network. Let's go play some ponies and let's cash some tickets. All right, thank you to Ryan Dickey for some SEC East betting trends and analysis. You, you're going to be able to catch him all year long on the StuCast, uh, joining in, helping out, whether it be 
courses running around in a circle, uh, baseball, hockey, or uh, even football. He'll be here. Um, John, I, you know, I, I, I'm just taking a guess here. But are we going to good old Rocky Top? Rocky Top, Tennessee. We're going to Rocky Top, baby. Uh, we're going to Knoxville. Unfortunately, I got them in the same boat as Kentucky, man. I got I to see what happens in week four on October 17th when Kentucky travels down to, to good old Rocky Top without fans, by the way. So that's, that's also a different, a different beast, man. If you go down to, to Knoxville, I mean, I, normally it'd be tough. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Pruitt. I think he's doing some sneaky good recruiting he's jobs scary, down there. man. What what Jeremy Pruitt's doing at Kentucky is very scary. Or Tennessee, Tennessee. excuse me, yeah. at, very scary. You better at Al on that one. You better at Studer on that one. Yeah, at Stucast Sports in your hate mail. I apologize to all Kentucky fans and all Tennessee fans. Oh man, but I yeah. I, I had my I was looking at the wrong name on my notes. I apologize. Yeah, so it happens to the best of us, man. I remember <laughs> my first beer. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, man, I love Tennessee here. I think Tennessee – if Tennessee beats the doors off of Kentucky at home, I actually might take Tennessee to beat Georgia or give them a run for their money. I'm Maybe that's too high on me. Right now I got them four, five-win teams, same as Kentucky. Give, let me see October 17th because, uh, you know, I, I – I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Tennessee. You know, Garantano, I was, I was listening to that SEC podcast. Shout out SEC Mike and Big Orange Vols, the big Tennessee homer, cousin Shane. Um, Garantano's been there for, what, seven years, eight years? He's like, uh, he's like the reverse Doogie Hauser. This is the first time he's had the same system. Yeah. This is the first time he's had the same system back to back. Well, I, the only thing that I would be cautious, don't like I'm a gambling man, okay? And I'll even call myself out here. Last year USF played Wisconsin and I told her, <laughs> I told bet everybody the house. bet the bet the house on that and uh, I I was wrong. So don't take my gambling advice. But if we look at the Tennessee State They lost by 40. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so if we look at Tennessee's schedule, man, they have – I would say they're up there in terms of just hard schedules. They open the season in Columbia, South Carolina. That concrete jungle down there gets a little wild. Now, we're without fans, so I don't really know. But well, I, I, it seems like everybody's at about 15 to 20%, you know, and in, in, in talking with Mayor Maddox – you know, it seems like it's going to stay that way, but it, it does. You can imagine a world where at the end of the year, there's certainly, you know, a little bit higher. There's got to be. There has to be a, a plan in place. There's got to be. But, you know, Williams-Brice Stadium holds, I think, 80K, 81,000 at me, John Castorani, if I'm wrong. But I, if they win against South Carolina, which I don't have them beating South Carolina week one, that will set the table for Tennessee to be a monster and compete in that top three spot in the, the East. If they, you know, that, that game right there, and I'm high on Muschamp in South Carolina, 
But, man, Jeremy Pruitt, what he's done in the recruiting, he'd been recruiting hard, man. And, I, I man, his defense is – I mean, you could, you could just mimic Alabama and Georgia's defense, and that's what you're going to get. I think Saturday. Tennessee's a year two at the tops away from winning the SEC East. I agree. I'm not saying they're going they're going to win. I mean, it 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 depends on who the quarterback is. In the next three years, Tennessee is going to be in the SEC championship game, and that's my hot take. And that's that's what that's I'm not a hot with. that's not a hot take. But yeah, I man, feel like I, that is. I mean, look at what Tennessee's done the 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 past decade. I think that is a hot take. Man, dude, they all right. So what they recruited a top ten recruiting class last year. The year before that, it was a top 15. It was 13. Hey, look what Butch Jones did. I mean, he he had top recruits, but he bungled the hell out of it. Butch Jones dismantled that. T- Man, Philip Fulmer would slap the smile off your face. You better at <laughs> Stu. You better at the Stu podcast for this and the Stu cast. Hey, I'm a big Tennessee volunteer guy this year. I think they're going to be very good this year. But, but I think rec- in a year or two, they're going to be in the championship. What's wrong with that? I I, a bold statement. I I don't think that's a hot take though. But I I like what what Tennessee's doing. Jeremy Pruitt and Danny Stiff, director of player personnel down the, down there in Knoxville, they've done a really good job. Like I said, they're going to be three years in a row top ten or excuse me top fifteen recruiting classes. Uh, I I think they're going they're going to win games they shouldn't win. I give them four to five win. The ceiling could be seven wins. You know what I'm really hot excited take. for. I'm really excited for them to go down to Norman, Oklahoma, and play uh, OU. After what OU and Stryker did a couple years back, what was that, five years now? Yeah. When they, when they said the SEC ain't shit, pardon my French, uh, I'll quote him. Uh, I think that Jeremy Pruitt's going to have that on repeat. On repeat. I so. cannot wait till Tennessee goes out to Norman because I hope they reschedule that next year. Uh, and, and if you haven't listened to the big 12 preview I did with Texas football talk, shout out to those fellas. I'm not very high on Oklahoma this year. I'll tell you that much. Let's, uh, let's move on. Where are we going next? Bobcat. We're going to the, the concrete jungle. We're going to the capital of, uh, South Carolina, South Cadillac. We're going to the Gamecocks in Columbia. That's that's uh, very near and dear to my heart since that's not too far away from uh, where I did basic. I mean, well, let let me tell you something, man. I like what Will Muschamp's doing. I mentioned week one; uh, they got Tennessee at home. I you know Will Muschamp's always going to recruit, and but he's he's going to recruit like Nick Saban does. Where Nick Saban's not going to go out and get all these five stars. He does get five stars. I'm not knocking saving on that. But he's going to recruit players he knows, has a good attitude. He can develop them really well. They're going to play the style of defense he wants them to play, and they're going to play the style of offense he wants them to play. I love Will Muschamp. I've got their ceiling at seven to eight wins. I like the Okay, Gamecocks. this is my big question, and, and I got to shout out that SEC podcast. Here is the question. Mike Bobo takes over as the O.C., he has a very uh, intricate offense. And while we saw flashes from Ryan Holinsky, who was the number four or five quarterback in the country a few years ago, 
And I think the SEC just grew in love with Ryan Holinsky, Gamecock Nation, falling in love with Ryan Holinsky. He's got a tragic but great story. He's got a tragic but great story. And last year when he beat Georgia at Georgia, I mean, that was a gutsy performance. Look, I like him beating Georgia this year. (laughs) Okay, we'll get to it. But (laughs) I I look at that quarterback situation. He's entering Mike Bobo's system from Colorado State. Coming with Mike Bobo was Colin Hill, the Colorado State quarterback who's already experienced, and there's a lot of audibles, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of route trees. I, I look at this, and I, I go, I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. I think Ryan Holinsky is going to satisfy the masses, but Colin Hill might actually be the best quarterback for the team. Well, I want to say something about Mike Bobo. I am not a, fi- a fan of Mike Bobo, just as all your Bulldog listeners are not fans of Mike Bobo. Don't forget, Mike Bobo was a quarterback coach from like 01 to 06. Ended up becoming the offensive coordinator under the infamous choke master himself, Mark Richt, from <laughs> 2007 to 2000. But Matthew Stafford played for him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I'm not confident that a Mike Bobo coached offense is going gonna, is gonna to do anything. Um yeah, I'm not confident in Mike Bobo. I'm confident in Will Muschamp. I'm confident in their recruiting abilities the past couple of years. Mike, Mike Bobo's got to get his, his stuff in order. He's got to follow what, what, what Muschamp's – you know, Muschamp has laid the foundation the past couple of years, Muschamp. I mean, they took Alabama for a ride last year. Don't ever forget that. They took out – they always take Alabama for a ride. What, what it comes down to to me is – I think that South Carolina, they deal with injuries year after year. If they can stay healthy, man, that that November 28th game at home to Georgia, welcome in Georgia, I think we're going to have more fans like you alluded to and, and, and Mayor Maddox did. But, I, man, dude, I love the South Carolina team. I think they beat Georgia. I think they beat Kentucky. I think they, they might, might lose to Ole Miss. I think they're going to beat Ole Miss. Uh, and I think they beat Auburn, man. The only team that I see them losing to are the Florida Gators. So, and that that's in week two, and and that's going they're going to get better after that loss. I man, I love the South Carolina Gamecocks defense, and I love the South Carolina Gamecocks offense, man. With Shy Smith, I think Shy Smith. I, I don't think he's opted out. I don't think he's going to opt out. And Mike Wyman, the true freshman that's coming in, just a stud uh, of an athlete. I mean, Look, I'm worried well. it, when you lose Marshawn Lloyd, who I was really excited to see. You're losing your best running backs. You're losing your best wide out. Uh, I'm scared for this offense. I really am. I mean, I, I get that the O line's going to be seasoned a little bit more. They're returning basically the same set. Um, defensively, you know, Ernest Lloyd is, you know, a first or second team all. SEC player, right? Um, but and you he's, also he's at the position that that calls in the plays at middle linebacker. But man, you know you're looking at a defense that 26, 27 points per game the last few seasons. You're, you're only returning six starters. Nobody's um, opted out on defense yet. That's a really nobody's good opted sign. out. But I, I, I'm still, I you know, I don't see a jump up high enough in that defense, and I don't see enough of a transition on offense to make them the number three team in the SEC. If you would have asked me before September 3rd, when Jordan Rhodes, the offensive lineman, 
who who started 10 games last year for South Carolina. Uh, I If you'd asked me before he opted back in, I'd have said, okay, they're a five, six win team with the ceiling being at six wins. I, I firmly believe that offensive line is going to protect who, I mean, I, I hope that, that Ryan plays quarterback. I, I I've heard, you know, rumors that, that maybe he won't be playing quarterback. I don't know, but I, you know, I think whoever plays quarterback will be protected. I think the running game is going to be strong. I know that the wideouts are going to be strong, even losing Davis, right? I mean, he, he didn't play in 2019 anyway, and he really didn't do much from 2016 to 2018. But – and I can't say his name. Randresis Davis, Rand – I don't know his name. Anyway, I, I think that they've got really good talent there. It's just week one we're going to find out if it's for real against Tennessee. All right, well – you had a very uh, ballsy play for the uh, third spot in the SEC East. And now we're going to even have an even ballsier call. And uh, please send your hate mail to at John Cassarani on Twitter. We're going down to Athens. And before we get your take on it, we're going to send it to Georgia Football Live. They're going to break down the Bulldogs with us. And uh, a big thank you to Georgia Football Live for uh, uh, coming on and, and giving their take. Here is Georgia Football Live with why the Bulldogs are winning the SEC. All right, to talk the dogs from Athens, Georgia, we got J.C. Shelton of UGAWire.USA.com. You can see him. He's a contributor to Georgia Football Live at, at uh, UGA Football Live on Twitter. Uh, JC, welcome to the show, man. It's really cool to be talking with you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's good to talk with you. Talk some Bulldogs football real quick. I, I love I love the fact we were talking offline. You are hustling as a sports media, uh, you know, major. I love it. Uh, how oh, how yeah. is how is college going right now? How is uh, Senior year, it's a, it's a little bit different. Like with most things, it's very wild, I could just say. So many different things going on. Not only do you have, you know, your professors are dealing with everything being split or, you know, limited face-to-face -face meetings. And then you have the students who are going to have to be on campus. Some of them don't have to be on campus. It's just wild. It looks like almost a Maymester on campus sometimes. <laughs> I'm used to seeing, you know, thousands of people on campus. So it's, it's pretty wild right now. Lots well, to do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I hope I hope we don't take you too long away from uh, your no, studies no. and your regular work. I always here. make time for the Bulldogs. <laughs> there you go. Right. Uh, let's start off for, you know, the first point, and, and this made big news, Jamie Newman leaving. Now, uh, SEC Twitter blowing up, Georgia dog uh, Twitter blowing up saying, oh, he wasn't going to be the starter anyway. You know, JT was going to take it. But, you know, I really liked Jamie Newman last year at Wake Forest. I thought, you know, if Sage Surratt hadn't gotten hurt, Jamie Newman would have put up much bigger numbers and Wake would have probably won a couple more games that they, they ended up losing. Um, what, what's your take on the Newman situation and JT Daniels stepping in? What, what's the latest that you have? So – the biggest question for me when I when Newman because Newman came out and told it came out that Kirby Smart said that Newman had told him the Tuesday before um, that Wednesday he announced publicly on Twitter you know his decision to opt out he told him Tuesday it was their off day 
So Kirby had knew, known and he had our time to present his statement. And it's pretty much next, next man up from Kirby Smart. But, I mean, the, the, what we're losing is experience, right? I mean, yeah. you have that experience, that game time experience. I mean, I think he was top three against an all power five against the Blitz as far as touchdown passes. He, he was fantastic. I mean, you don't have that yeah. if you don't have experience. You have clutch gene at least a little bit. So that's what we're missing because JT Daniels at USC, I mean, he, he did produce a little bit. I mean, he had 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 59 completion percentage um, in 2018, right? Yeah. So he has that much experience, but what does he have in huge clutch games, SEC competition every week, especially with Georgia's schedule? Ooh, scheduled time for the Georgia Bulldogs. Kentucky, Alabama, Auburn, all together. Yeah. For three weeks. And then you have by and what is that, Florida? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, that's going to be a rough stretch. So I'm just thinking we need somebody who can step up in the moment and make a play when we need to. Because we're going to have to make a play against those big teams, big-time defenses. And and that's that's the scary part, but uh, you know, as Doctor SEC pointed out, and he's very high on the Bulldogs this year. Um, the big reason the defense will get to in in a bit, but part of that reason is is play calling and the OC Todd Munkin steps in as the OC. Uh, Cooley last year now now he's a tight ends coach uh, somewhere, so that's. When you're the OC at UGA, you're supposed to go up. You don't go to being a tight ends coach. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, looking at uh, Monken's history, what do you think this offense is going to look like? So it's going to be – he's going to take his typical air raid from Oklahoma State with trying to implement our rushing game. And I think that's what Kirby um, was smart enough to realize as well when he's trying to hire here is – I mean, our rushing attack and our offensive linemen that we're able to recruit because we're in this recruiting part of the country that these guys, these offensive linemen are huge and they are fast and they were just as fast as some of these tight ends that we're recruiting. Like Darnell Washington, he's just a small offensive lineman, right? He's 6'7". They weighed him in at 273. That's our new tight end, five-star recruit last um, recruiting cycle. Um, but these guys down here are so big that we can produce these running backs who – running for thousands of yards each season. John Dre Swift, you had Elijah before him. Now you got – I'm excited to see James Cook this year. That's my number really? one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I think Todd Monken's system, air raid, we're going to get it deep. But what can we do with James Cook's speed and elusiveness on the outside and these swing routes that we're going to be doing with him? I think he can really make – I think that's what Todd Monken might focus on is getting those running backs involved in tight ends in the middle of the field, which we didn't necessarily do under COVID last year. I know a lot of people are projecting Zaire White to win that battle at running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're saying we're going to see Cook in there as well. Is it, yeah. At Oklahoma State, you know, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard is just a monster, and he can mm-hmm. kind of do everything, and, and you don't really see him off the field too often. Uh, is, is James Cook – can he fit into that Chuba role? Or do you think Zaire White maybe might be the better running back and then Cook the better receiver? I was I would definitely say Cook is probably the better receiver right now at this point in his career. 
that doesn't mean that Zamir, he can't, you know, take that mantle up and maybe improve that. He still has a lot of playing time left with his injury. He's still, you know, red-shirted young player. So I have time to see him grow in that. But I think right now, definitely James Cook, his just his lateral movement on the outside. Now, White, Zamir, he might be, you know, one of the best ones we've had running backs-wise in the last few years. We might see that. You know, we have no idea, really, because he hasn't proven himself. But when he gets it inside the tackles, I mean, he's he looks like a rock, right? He looks like a fast rock moving to the linebackers. But then Cook on the outside facing DBs and cornerbacks who are a little more elusive feet uh, laterally, he can really make space there, I think. But Zamir White, definitely, I think he'll be a 1,000 yards back this this season at least with the offensive line. That's our questions right now is Tom Mocking coming in with the offensive line, being a little mixed up and having to rehaul that because, you know, we lost four starters. Cade made a transfer, three to NFL. And so we had to replace all that with a new offensive, you know, uh, line coach. And well, you get Matt Luke in there, correct? That yeah. line coach. And he's and been that, working. That's a, the good thing about it, he's been working since Baylor, you know. Yeah, and Sugar Bowl. You know, uh, I I want to I'm going to go to the O line before I talk about my favorite player, possibly in all the SEC. Um, that O line, you, you know, Sam Pittman is the O line guru master. He leaves for Arkansas, but. He still got his stuff in place. He worked with these kids. He, you know, coached them up as best he could. Matt Luke is a perfect replacement uh, to fill that void. Old lineman, you mentioned uh, losing Cade Mays, who free Cade Mays, everybody. He needs to play. And uh, three uh, starters to the NFL. Who's that next offensive lineman that Georgia's going to produce in that Andrew Thomas mold, that that UGA O-line first-round guy? So there's been a lot of talk, especially from Kirby. Kirby talked last week about our line situation, and he was he was excited what he's seen so far in practice and the scrimmages we've been doing every Saturday and just the improvement that's being made because these guys have to get continuity together. They're going to have to get snaps in together to really get a feel from what each other is doing on the field um, and their tendencies. But I'd say, I mean, if you're taking tackle, I wouldn't say, I mean, well, it could be a guard Owen, too. Owen Condon, Owen Condon, Kirby mentioned him specifically that he had been working hard and he had faced some injuries. He's a redshirt sophomore, I believe now, um, a redshirt freshman. He had been facing some injuries and no one had really spoken about him until Kirby had spoken. He's a huge guy, six, seven. He's, you know, it's 3.30. Um, if he can be able to move people off the spot, then he'd be really fun to watch. Um, and then the guards, uh, you got Ben Cleveland is, you know, fifth-year senior. He's been here forever. If he can get his grades right, I think that's what held him back last semester and won the Sugar Bowl with Baylor. Um, but if he can be okay on that front, he's huge. He'll move people off, hit the spot easy. Um, I'm, not, I'm not worried about as much as the offensive line as um, receiver position as far as depth at the top right now with Blaylock going out. But I think we can, these guys can really find some continuity. Like you said, Matt Luke, he knows what he's doing. And these guys are all talented. And if they can, get, if they can make it work together, then, I mean, they have great running backs and a quarterback hopefully can just make all the throws he needs to. You mentioned uh, the wide receiver group uh, in, in the last position group on this offense. We're going to kind of chat up. And, and my guy, George Pickens, he had a coming out party against LSU in the SEC championship game. Even though, you know, it was a rough game, 
he was out there making plays on on everybody in that secondary. He's very much a explosive wide out in the, you know, I don't know if this is too much to say, but uh, a former Georgia Tech guy in Megatron, from what I saw from Pickens, it kind of reminded me, a guy that just goes up, gets it super fast, super athletic, uh, and I love him in this air raid style. Is is he the the go to weapon, or is there somebody that we're not tracking on this on this wide receiving core that that can really step up and be a, a nice complement? I think I think Blaylock, unfortunately, would have been that guy for us. Um, and after he had the ACL tear last season, kept him out half the season, and then starting at the SEC championship, actually kept out most of the last part of the season in Sugar Bowl. Um, and then when he tore, retore his ACL a few weeks ago, I mean, that's what was a question. And who's that number two? Because he was going to be that guy to create space for him. Because Pickens, like you said, he's just a beast. Yeah. I mean, you monster. see, he has he has highlight films from practice that look just as good as the games, too. One-handed catches everything. But, I mean, just to speak on what you're talking about, he's dominating. I mean, his complete list of returning players, this is per PFF college, pro football focus, complete list of returning players with 75-plus targets, and zero drops, George Pickens. I mean, there are just several stats like that where he's just he's he's head and shoulders above the rest in the SEC at least. So you take Todd Monk and like you said, coming in with the air raid. I think it's going to be on him now whether he whether we have the guys to keep him from being double covered and being stuffed that way. That's the biggest question. We have Demetrius Robertson. Um, he's going to be that guy that has to step up, and he's you know he came he was originally recruited by Georgia, switched to Cal, had a good season at Cal as a freshman. Um, came over here, sat for a year, and hasn't been able to be on the field as much, I think, to gain that experience and the way we play here, which is Georgia almost, is just the more running, rushing style and stuff than the West Coast offense. These were two USC. But I think in this top, I think Todd Malkin almost realizes he has to use him now with Blaylock out more. Um, but we have, we did sign four four-star receivers in 2020 class this past season, um, and they're all very talented and quick. The thing is just, like I said, getting that experience in, which hopefully at Arkansas, the, the, he really just lets the offense open up and don't worry about anything else and just get us some snaps in, especially receivers with routes and stuff and then quarterbacks, JT Daniels or Dwayne Mathis. I like Dwayne Mathis, and we can talk about that now. Well, yeah, no, because uh, Dwayne's a guy that originally committed to Ohio State out of Detroit. Uh, he, he was a guy that was very highly regarded coming out of, I believe he's a Renaissance or Cast Tech kid. Um, I saw him play. I, I was impressed. When he switched from Ohio State, when it was almost like a trade, Fields goes Ohio State, Mathis switches to UGA. Uh, what's the early read on Mathis? And in, in, are we going to see JT and uh, Mathis in the first game, or is JT even ready coming off the injury? Well, actually, technically, JT is not cleared to play to play game action right now. He's cleared to practice, and he has been practicing. And Kirby spoke about his knee a little bit, saying that it's, it's feeling good on him, and he's ready to move move on when that timetable when he's cleared. So we're hoping to see both him and Mathis. I think we're going to see Bennett too. I mean, I think we're going to see every quarterback we have right there. Um, against at Arkansas. least it against Arkansas, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, I think. And then Dwayne, 
Dwayne Mathis, Aaron Murray just came out and, and said it the other day. I mean, when he saw him in 2018 before his uh, – when he had signed and before his injury, they kept him out, you know, last year. It was his brain tumor he had to be removed. But he's yep. fully cleared. He had – I think Kirby said it was five or six doctors that had come in and clear him. Um, but he's ready. And Aaron Murray said he was so impressed in 2018. And when he tweeted the other day, he was, like, very, very, very impressed. Quotation, just – I mean, he, he, he thinks that he can very he can compete very well for this job. And and then also I saw reports that he had gained weight and he was a little skinny coming off, coming in. I mean, he was just a skinny guy. He's a tall, lanky guy, but he's he's quick. And he's got a rocket. And then I saw reports of him gaining some weight. It's like he's put on some, some ass, especially in his shoulders. So hopefully he can take some hits as well. That's excellent. I, I'm, I'm kind of rooting just for the hometown kid. Uh, Dwayne Mathis. I'm really hoping we. I'm. I mean, that Arkansas game is going to be must watch for a lot of reasons. Uh, primarily, though, I. I think the biggest thing that's going to show up in that game, this Georgia defense looks scary good. The last year, only holding teams to 12 and a half points. The only team that was able to put up more than 17 on them was LSU, and and what possibly might be the the best college football team of all time. Um, this defense returns pretty much everybody back. Is this going to even be better than last year? I think there's a possibility uh, for sure. Uh, statistically wise, will it show just because our schedule is so much different? I mean, your 10 SEC games, um, who knows what could happen as far as the pandemic affecting these games on a week to week basis. Uh, but if we could get a full roster and if we could stay similarly healthy, I think we could definitely be as good as last year. Um, there's every, like you said, we return most players and some of these players, you get better with more snaps. I mean, most of the players, especially the ones who call plays, like you have a Richard LeCunt, who is all, is, you know, preseason all American safety. And then you have um, Eric Stokes, who is going to be a first-round draft pick, more than likely in 2021 NFL draft, is at corner. And they have Tyson Campbell right across from them, two very long, lanky guys who are quick and know how to cover these SEC receivers. Um, I mean, that's, that's half the battle right there. I mean, we could, we could come into this Georgia defense and not have the great line they have and not have a great front seven, like total front seven linebackers-wise, and then just have our secondary and be fine. I mean, you wouldn't be great, but you'd be fine because <laughs> they can cover them for more than three seconds, right? You need somebody to cover for three seconds. Well, with this line, too, you add the line and linebackers, Oziz Ojolari, uh, N'Kobe Dean, watch out for him. He's going to break out this year, I believe, at linebacker, inside linebacker um, with Monty Rice, who's returning senior, opted out of the draft, coming back. He's big. Nobody, No running back can run over Monty Rice in the middle. I mean, run, as far as rush defense, we're covered almost there, especially with big Jordan Davis, defensive line, number 99 in the middle. Absolutely huge. He's smart. Um, you could ask anybody around him. He's one of the smartest guys on that Georgia defense, and he's right in the middle. Uh, you can't – you can't – as a linebacker, you really can't uh, complain when you have a guy like him in front of you. Yeah, and, and it's scary, you know uh... – it, it, I, I think the SEC really boils down to whether you think Kyle Trask is going to have that great of a season moving forward and we're going to have uh, Dave Waters on to talk Gator football. But for you, from a UGA perspective, obviously the Florida game is, is one you have to have. 
if you want to win that East championship and get back to the championship game in Atlanta at the end of the year, is there another game outside of the obvious ones that you're kind of worried about as a UGA fan, a, a, a matchup problem or a, a surprise team for you? Um, I would say Auburn, Auburn's defense is scary to me uh, almost every year, the recent years especially. They have some very talented guys on that defense, especially front seven. I feel like they're always pushing out NFL front seven guys who, you know, you have experience against playing Georgia, and they're going to know some of these running schemes that we do. Um, with Todd Mocken, can he, his air raid, change that and kind of open up this defense? Uh, but Gus Malzahn, that's the thing. Gus Malzahn and especially, you know, you know Will Muschamp, all these guys, they have problems scoring against Kirby Smart. They just, their teams do. Um, and that's what it comes down to me against for Georgia versus Florida. So I, th I feel like most of these, you know, Kirk Herbstreet and um, Desmond Howard on college game day, the first college game day of the year. Desmond um, doesn't Saturday. even know what the hell he's talking about. or True. Half the time, Desmond doesn't. Um, I'm not convinced. But still, they, they still cited uh, Florida's scheduling as part of the reason they picked Florida to win the East. And I could see that kind of, I mean, they don't play. Bama or Auburn out of the West. They did pull LSU, who's going to be like you know, a completely different team if you look at their roster breakdown. Yeah. Well, um, Shelvin's gone. Uh, I think yeah. they lost another D tackle today. Uh, they lost, uh, you know, Jamar. Um, it's not it's not great for Coach O uh, no. this season. So yeah, you, I mean, you have them play LSU there, but like I said, then they might be um, up on them there with how the rosters turning out. But to me, that's what it comes down to is almost a scheduling-wise because Georgia has to go. You know, they play Auburn, Alabama, Florida, and then Kentucky, all these SEC teams. And Kentucky, I mean, everybody you puts Kentucky down a little bit, but they're going to be good this year, I think so. And I think they compete with anybody. They're, they're a team that a lot of people I, – I think – well, I know I'm going to be one that's betting Kentucky. I'm going to be taking the points uh, when they play Auburn week one. Yeah, that's a team. Terry Wilson coming back at QB – do you think that there's a lot of teams in the East that are, and I, I feel this way, I made this point to uh, Dr. SEC earlier, that Tennessee, Kentucky, and to a certain extent, South Carolina, that they're almost there, whatever it is, what their ceilings can be for those schools, they're almost there. Uh, this year might not be it, but in a couple years they might be able to challenge a Georgia challenge a Florida do you see that as well um I think so I think there's a possibility uh, that they could do that but the thing is to me is it seems like those teams at South Carolina Kentucky they're all constantly doing this thing where they have these three-star four-star guys who are developed um, and then they're good for a season with these guys are seniors or juniors and then it kind of has to rebuild almost every few years to where they catching up and they're they're making some recruiting um, you know, advancements. They have Benny Snell, right? Mm -hmm. They have a good running back. Um, but then they move on and they kind of they have to suffer from that for a season or try to get back to something they were. And it kind of changes their identity each year, too. Because with Benny Snell, Kentucky's a run, you know, you run first, run first, run first. What do they do now with something that opened up? They have a running quarterback, yeah. So they could open up a little bit more and do pass down the field, just like air raid, like Georgia's doing. Um, but I think that's kind of, it's almost cyclical in that way. But Georgia, then you Kirby Smart. Depending it's just on what every recruiting year. source you look at. Yeah, it's the two top one recruiting class, like number one recruiting class the last three years, two of them. 
I mean, it, it's always staying that way. And then all the recruiting makeup that teams like Florida and I think Tennessee made up, you know, this offseason with getting, you know, at least ranked. And they had some guys sign who made them rank so much harder than Georgia. And Georgia had a slow start, right? But now Georgia's right behind them, like by t like two rankings behind Florida, I think. The next recruit they get, they're going to be right up there. And, I mean, all Kirby has to do on signing day is get those few guys he always seems to get. He always yeah. seems to flip somebody or sign somebody huge. And right now I'm looking at Darius Mims, the offensive tackle, um, big five-star recruit that we've been looking for. He's he's so big. He reminds me of Andrew Thomas. Uh, he just got drafted number four overall to the Giants almost. So if we can close him, he'll definitely um, make our team next year a lot better, I think, as far as offensive line goes. Man, I love the breakdown. Where can the good people find more of this excellent UGA talk, man? UGA Wire, USA Today. Um, just look us up there. We also have the biggest Georgia Twitter. There is UJ Football Live on Twitter. We have a lot of good stuff coming out there. We have a new podcast coming out in the works soon. Excellent. Um, it's going to be featured on that. Um, yeah, but you can find us there. Any word on what, what that title is going to be? Or, or just you guys will push it out uh, when it comes out. We'll push it out. We're all, we're all putting it together right now. We're kind of having a surprises major release there for us. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, build, Excellent. Build the uh, anticipation. Hey, JC, where, where can people find you? So I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm capital J underscore Shelton with an S, uh, capital S underscore. Right on Twitter. I'm also with uh, UJ Live. You can find me tweeting a lot about that stuff too. And I'm breaking some stuff on UJ's campus um, when I can, so. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, get back to work, get back to the books. It's been an honor. Hope, Hopefully we can run this back during the season after a big game, get your thoughts. Oh, yes, sir, yes. I had a great time. I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, no problem, JC. We'll, we'll see you down the road again. We'll get back to this SEC East preview. All right, thank you to Georgia Football Live can't can't say enough great things that that's a big outfit that uh you know took a chance to come on thank you to jc for doing the interview um and check those guys out uh they're on twitter they're they're everywhere it's georgia football live uh jc talked about how georgia is going to be right as rain even with jamie newman not you know playing this is a team that recruits very well. Kirby Smart recruits very well every year. It seems like they have a surplus of guys to fill in the spots they need every single year. But, Bobcat, what, what is the thing in your mind that makes Georgia second in the East? Player development. Kirby Smart and player development. Um I don't like JT Daniels. I was not a fan of Jamie Newman, as you know. I think Jamie Newman performed terribly. I think it was a dumb decision for him to opt out. He's not. That is. That is. Well, I, I think it was a dumb decision for him to opt out. But uh, I mean, his season at Wake Forest was excellent up until Sage Surratt got injured, and you know he's playing with nobodies in an ACC that was actually pretty damn decent last year um I, I liked I liked what I saw to Jamie Newman I really did I, I I'm not I I'm not going to discuss Jamie Newman because he ain't playing football anymore but I, I wasn't high on him at Wake Forest he played at you know 
Wake Forest that tells you all you need to know, and he barely threw over 46% in his last three games of the season. He's, he's not really a good, a good ball player. Uh, but, yeah, so player development's key here. I think Kirby Smart, we saw with Justin Fields and the whole, you know, just terrible debauchery that went on because uh, Jake Fromm sure as hell did not progress any. You know, granted, thanks for the, the Georgia fans to come on and, and tell them they're going to win the East and, and win the SEC. That's cool. Not going to happen. Uh, yes, they recruit very well, but but another thing that, that Kirby Smart can't do is is develop develop players. Uh, I don't like JT Daniels. I really don't like anybody on this roster other than George Pickens. I think George Pickens is is one of your best wide receivers. In his the game against LSU was his coming out party when they were down. This is my problem with Jake Fromm led Georgia. Jake Fromm was very protected, and they had DeAndre Swift, that running back, who was a monster. He's now on my Detroit Lions, and I can't wait to see him play. Uh, but they were a run-first team, and they have been for years. George Pickens is a legit throw it up in the air. He'll go up and grab it kind of wide receiver. And to me, he's a first-team all-SEC kind of wide out. Right, and I'll compare him to another Detroit Lions, Megatron. I think that yeah. that's yeah. I think you, know, you can see it. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Needs to add some size. Well, I mean, if you look at Megatron, he's at Georgia Tech. I mean, he needed to add size. He can do it. I think George Pickens. I believe he's a he's a true sophomore. Yeah, so he's we're gonna, a true sophomore. We're gonna see him next year in a full season with some hopefully some out of conference play and and all that good stuff. Is if we can get over this pandemic. Uh, the the question marks here, you know, you got red short, red shirt, excuse me, red shirt sophomore Zamir White, and then the junior James Cook playing playing running back. Not really sold on either one of those, you know, picking up the slack for you know a Swift, uh, a Gurley, you know, it, Georgia always all the way back to to No Show Moreno, shout out to No Show, uh, No Sean, uh, but all the way back to Moreno, they've always had really really good running back and a running back by committee kind of like Alabama has even before Kirby. Um, but this year with Zamir White and James Cook, I'm not, I'm not sold on it. I don't think that they're going to have that. And then if you look at JT Daniels, you know, the transfer from Southern Cal, uh, USC hasn't been relevant in football, and I don't know how long. Uh, and if you couldn't compete at USC in the Pac-12, which is just god-awful, I think – Whoa, 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 whoa. JT Daniels was – he had some games that were very impressive. I mean, the kid can throw the ball. I mean, he played against the Pac-12. That's what I was saying. I just well, hey, look, Utah's defense was was pretty damn good last year. I thought Oregon was a pretty damn good team last year. Um, I, I'll give JT Daniels benefit of the doubt in that if you give him some better weapons, some better weapons up front as well to protect him, because you know, even though Sam Pittman leaves. This offensive line is pretty solid. Absolutely, I, I, the offensive line is 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 going to be solid. Broderick Jones is the linchpin, though. Uh, but and, you, and number two tackle in the country coming in as a freshman at playing that left tackle position, he's going to be huge. But the SEC, man, you can't just run the football. You know, you look at you look at Alabama, you look at LSU last year. Alabama the past four or five years they they went away from that run first I mean they're still gonna run the football right but they they have quarterbacks that can make throws and I think Kirby and staff sold their soul on fields and from and they haven't done a really good job recruiting I mean I what's his name Carson Beck who they recruited last year 
correct me if I'm wrong. He's not even on the, the depth chart roster anymore. You have Dewan Mathis, who's a redshirt freshman. Hey, I'm in Detroit. Dewan Mathis was originally committed to Ohio State. He was a huge player when uh, Fields transferred. Dewan Mathis went down to Georgia. But Dewan Mathis is a very – in watching his tape and, and watching how he played, he's a very mobile quarterback. He is much more in that Jamie Newman type feel. And if Dewan Mathis is starting, um, yes, you know, it's a freshman in the SEC, so you're going to have some real growing pains. But I'd be very excited if I was a Bulldog fan looking at Dewan Mathis. Right, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not confident. So are you confident that Kirby Smart, when given the opportunity based on past performances from him, based on, you know, quarterback competition, are you confident that he'll give the the rightful starter a starting opportunity? Justin Fields should have started over over from, and you put him in in mop up duty in a, in a couple of short you know running plays, and everybody. Well, hey, knew I, I hate to bring this up, Bobcat, but I remember me and you having conversations last year, and you you were Jake Fromm guy over Fields. I I was yeah, but that changed when I saw him regress, right? Even without like somebody snipping at your heels. He Is that due to the offense and the fact that you have DeAndre Swift at running back? I don't think so because DeAndre Swift can can catch the football. DeAndre Swift to me is like is is a Josh Jacobs like player, right? He can block, he can run, and he can catch the damn football. So why why wouldn't you shift your offense to say okay, Justin Fields is the is the better competitor. Justin Fields is going to get me a national championship to make all of the Bulldog Nation proud. But right now, it's like Bulldog Nation seeing deja vu, and they've got another Mark Rick in there. Don't forget second and twenty-four. Don't forget that. Don't don't forget that you you know you had Alabama in the first half, but you just couldn't close the deal. And I think that's part of the player development. I think you try to institute a process that you're mimicking from from previous employers, and it's it's doing poorly. And yeah, there's a little bit of bias there. And and I think I wish Kirby Smart well, but what we saw with the Fields debacle is just I don't I don't trust him to put in Dewan Mathis over J T Daniels because he probably sold his soul to J T Daniels the same way he did to Justin Fields. So I I don't I don't have confidence they're going to get the doors beat off of them uh, at you know at Alabama on October seventeenth. You know I I don't like them against Auburn in week two. I don't like them at Kentucky. Definitely don't like them at, at, at Florida. I mean, I can see them. I see them, you know, their ceiling is seven wins, man. I think they're, I think they're probably going to go seven and three. Uh, but there's going to be a bunch of close games in there. I just don't think that they can hang. My, my thing is, is I think JT Daniels, as an experienced quarterback, is going to come in. And I think Kirby's going to open up the playbook for him. I mean – you don't have that running back option. I mean, they're, they're returning, like you said, Zaire White, and I, I don't know how good he is. But I know that you have George Pickens out there, who is yeah. a monster, and I know that you're going to have a good offensive line, and JT Daniels was, uh, you know, he was a cannon at USC. And, they, he, I mean, there was a lot of games. You can go back and check the record, well over 30 passes a game. And I think Kirby's going to have to adapt to that style, which we've seen him do at points. You know, he's, he's very much – he wants to run the ball first. But I think with how things are setting up, I think you're going to see him open up the playbook and let JT Daniels throw 
quite a bit. And, uh, I, you know, I'm very excited for the fact that this defense, which was incredible last year, only giving up 12 points a game, they return eight starters. I mean, this defense is back and it's locked and loaded. And defense, I think, will carry them through those first few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the defense. What I what I don't agree – I mean, George Pickens, like we talked, I think he's a phenomenal player. But when you're running up – I mean, if you look at their first six games, Arkansas, easy win. Let's not talk about them. Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, and Florida, all in a row, right? You get a bye week before Florida, the cocktail party. But they're all going to run nickel defenses, right? So how, how is George Pickens going to get off of the double coverage? How is George Pickens going to get that safety off? Who is Blaylock going to take pressure off by moving safeties around? I don't know. I don't, I'm not very confident right now. It's cool to have one star wide receiver like we talked about, Jamar Chase at LSU. Well, you earlier. got a Demetrius Robertson who, yeah, I mean, who's out there who, you know, number two wide receiver overall uh, a few years back in – Man, I, I, I got to think that he's going to be there and, and be a guy that, uh, you know, if Pickens is getting doubled, that's going to just shine bright this year. Right, but if you look at the DBs that they're playing, like the first five out of six games, um, yeah, I think they're, they're, in, they're in trouble. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of close wins if they do win. I think you're going to see, you know, like Hail Marys and stuff. It's going to go back to like the old Georgia-Tennessee time. It's going to be wild but I've got them at a seven-win ceiling. All right, so that leaves one team left, and we're going to go down to Gainesville and check them out. But before we do, David Waters, at Gator Dave underscore SEC of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. He's going to take us through why Florida's winning the SEC, and we'll be me and the Bobcat will be back to uh, digest some of that right after this. All right, it's time to head down to the swamp down in beautiful Gainesville, Florida. We've got the host of Gators Breakdown Podcast. You can catch him at Gator Dave underscore SEC. David Waters, thank you for coming on the show, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, season's getting closer, so everything everything's getting exciting around Gator Nation. Yeah, yeah, it's and you guys got a lot to uh, be excited about because this team this year – Certainly has a uh, a lot of people's eyes, and and we start with a guy that took over for Felipe Franks last year, and the team just kind of it became a new team almost. Uh, talk to us about how good is Kyle Trask, and and are you projecting a forward progression off last year? Yeah, I think he'll be better. I mean, this is you know he didn't play football for a long time since basically his middle middle school years. He said. He sat behind uh, Derek King in, in high school, the you know, new quarterback at Miami, and then sat behind Felipe Franks uh, for a couple of years at, at, at Florida. And you know, he finally got his chance a couple of years ago uh, when Felipe Franks struggled uh, against Missouri. He came in late in that game. It was already a blowout. He played okay, uh, but he was going to have a chance to earn his starting uh, position uh, that year in 2018 for Dan Mullen and, and broke his foot in practice or hurt, hurt his foot in practice. So he didn't get that chance. And then Felipe Franks goes on to play well to finish out 2018 and um, you know, it looked like it was going to be Felipe Frank's job uh, all of 2019. He goes down versus Kentucky. Felipe Frank, uh, Kyle Trask comes in to a pretty, a pretty big surprise to everybody. You know, Emory Jones was recruited by Dan Mullen in his first recruiting class. And I think a lot of people expected Emory Jones to trot off the bench and, and, and take over for, for, for Felipe Frank, but it was Kyle Trask and 
the offense took off from there. It looked like right away he knew where he wanted to go with the ball and 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 get the get the ball to the playmakers' hands. You know, Florida had a really deep receiver core last year, and and they used that to their advantage with a quarterback that was able to get them the ball and and, and stretch the field and move the field. And uh, it was it, it it really worked. You know, for for an offense that couldn't even get a run game working, Kyle Trask really showed that uh, you know he could put the offense on his shoulders and and carry the offense and go have a knockdown dragout, albeit a loss with you know national championship LSU. Maybe could have played better in the Georgia game, of course, and and, and you know that's the next step for this whole Gator team in general. But you know he 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 carried Florida to eleven wins, uh, played really well. You know only really behind Joe Burrow and, and maybe Tua Tagovailoa uh, in the SEC last year. And and, and you know, the the biggest question is how big of a how big of a step can he take? So this is the first offseason where he's the starter. He knows he's the guy, and you know we'll we'll see how much that means with him being able to to take all the first-team reps and, and knowing that he is the quarterback for the University of Florida and what that translates into. So I'm not expecting so, some Joe Burrow-type leap. I mean, that was in an historic season from a quarterback in the SEC. But if Kyle Trask does get better, uh, you, you know, that really, really helps Florida's chances of getting to Atlanta. He loses a lot of pieces. I mean uh... – Van Jefferson is a, a Michigan product, and, and I know a lot of people really loved him up there, and, and he had a real nice season last year for you guys. Uh, LaMichael Perrine, uh, the running back, wh- who's going to be filling the gaps? Who's he throwing to? I mean, we know Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is now unquestionably the, the most highly regarded tight end in the country playing this year. Uh who's he throwing to who's running the ball here yeah yeah that's the questions Florida has to figure out of course you know they have four guys this past week signed NFL contracts four wide receivers the ones that were drafted ended up being on NFL rosters and signing contracts there so yeah that you know for pure receivers you know you mentioned Kyle Pitts and what he brings to the table as a tight end kind of slash wide receiver He's back. He'll be the number one target. But if we if you want to look at pure wide receiver position, yeah, they lose Van Jefferson, they lose Freddie Swain, they lose Josh Hammond, they lose Tyree Cleveland, and you got to you got to find their replacements. And, and the good thing about that with Kyle Pitts coming back, uh, and uh, probably led by Trevon Grimes for pure receivers, Trevon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, Jacob Copeland. There's your three that got a good bit of playing time last year as well. And you know, almost you know to their credit, you know, counting Kyle Pitts as well, that's still almost about 50% of the production that returns from from even last year. With those guys that left Florida, still returns nearly 50% of the production. So. But these guys are going to have to go out there and prove that they can that they can shoulder and, and because they they weren't the number one, number two, number three receivers. They were down the depth chart a little bit. So those guys have got got to come and prove it. Justin Shorter just got cleared from the NCAA. That's a former five star that transferred from Penn State, transferred back in January, and just now heard in, in September that he'll be el- eligible uh, to play as well. So even more talent there. And, you know, I, I think this talent has potent- This group has potential to be more explosive, but I want to know who's going to be that guy that Florida can count on when it's third and seven. When you need a first down in clutch time, you could count on Van Jefferson. You could count on Freddie Swain to go get you a play. I don't know if Florida has identified who can be that type of receiver just yet. Uh, Kadarius Tony is that you know, electric playmaker that can go for a touchdown at any time, but he can also go for an eight-yard loss at any time. Trevon well, Grimes. A lot, of people, a lot of people are very high in Kadarius Tony this year, and and he is that explosive playmaking type uh, in, in a mold of a Rondale Moore up at Purdue or Jalen Waddell at Alabama. 
he seems like he could be something incredible. Yeah, and Mullen singled him out as uh, being a, a receiver that has taken on the role of being more of a true receiver, not just that gadget type of player, one that can maybe is not in that scenario that I'm talking about, a third and seven, go catch a first down when Florida really needs it. So, you know, if Kadarius Tony becomes a true receiver and he can do all the other stuff as well, that's only going to help Florida when, you know, unpredictability when he's on the field. Javon Grimes, can he be, can he be that number one uh, receiver that uh, a lot of people kind of predicted him to be? He's a former five-star as well that's in this wide receiver core. Jacob Copeland, who I expect to be one of the receivers that probably takes uh, the next step uh, when now given that he he has more of an opportunity to do so. He's one that I, I really expect another highly ranked uh, wide receiver uh, that was uh, recruited by Dan Mullen as well. And two true freshmen I really think we need to look out for. Xavier Henderson, the little brother of C.J. Henderson, from a former Florida Gator defensive back, and Joquavion Frazier, both two two true freshmen that are coming in. And early reports from them are uh, they can really test down the field in camp. They get, and you know, as you know, look, speaking of Grimes and um, Copeland and Tony, they set out the first part of fall camp. Uh, and we were worried, you know, they may opt out, they may hold out. They're fine, they're back. But that gave opportunity for these young wide receivers early in camp to get a lot of uh, rep, reps with Kyle Trask. And, you know, the, and the word was they could really test deep down the field. So I think Florida's going to be in pretty good shape at wide receiver. Still have some questions. I like the explosiveness that they, that they can bring, but still some questions. But as far as running back and how you replace LaMichael Piran. That's a good question there. Damian Pierce is going to be the first guy up. Plenty of experience, has some big runs uh, in his repertoire as well. But I'm just, my, my biggest question for running back is Michael P. Ryan was a great wide receiver as well, or a great receiver out of the backfield as well. Who's going to be able to replace that? And it looks like Malik Davis. Um, he had a great 2017 as a freshman under Jim McElwain's last year. Was one of, was one of the lone bright spots in Jim McElwain's last year. And he's a, a guy I'm really looking for with some experience, bouncing back from some injuries early on in his career. I uh, really look for him to have some confidence and, and maybe even healthy to a point now where he hasn't been in a couple years uh, to, to get to a point where Florida can re really rely on him. And then five-star transfer from Miami, Lorenzo Lingard. I think everybody's looking at him to uh, live up to his five-star billing as well. So plenty of options for Florida at running back, but still a lot of questions as well. Yeah, Lorenzo Lingar was was my main question on on the running backs because he he strikes me as a guy that has a world of talent. Um, I, I just wonder, you know, with him not making it at Miami and Miami's had troubles the past few years, him coming over to Florida. Uh, what has Coach Mullen said about him? Um, yeah, he, he's there. He, he in he's taking part in. Part of it, you know, he's coming off an injury too. He played very little uh, last year as well. Kind of got inserted mid-season for Miami because he was coming off of an injury from the year before as well. So who knows how healthy he really was either. So he's in Florida's strength program, and, and that gets rave reviews from Nick Savage, the strength and conditioning coordinator there. Uh, so, you know, early reports from camp uh, from him is he's been able to show a lot of speed. Uh, and if he gets to the outside, watch out. But I think they're still probably looking for more consistency as far as, you know, be, being a running back, you know, not – you can't just live off the big – in the SEC, you just don't really live off the big play. Can you, can you go three 
can you go get three, four yards when you really need it? And, and the box is stacked against you to run. Everybody knows the run is coming, but you can still go do your job. Or can you pass protect when you really need to? Can you go catch that pass out of the backfield as well? So there's a lot to, to play in running back than just you know, getting the ball and running. Uh, but, you know, early returns are if, if, he gets at, if he gets to the outside, uh, watch out Lorenzo Rengar's probably off to the races. And helping them get to the outside is certainly that offensive line. And you guys project to have four starting seniors. How good can this offensive line be this year? That's the big question. That was the biggest detriment to the team last year, um, and this offensive line. And you get the, the big news from there was you, you were able to get Stuart Reese, who Dan Mullen and John Hevesy, the offensive line coach, they recruited at Mississippi State. And he signed at Mississippi State, played with Dan Mullen and them for a year before for early in his career before Mullen and them left to come to Florida and now he's going to finish his career with his brother who's also on the on the Gators team he's going to come in and, and be a part of this offensive line and you know it's good for Florida they needed help there and they get a guy who knows the system has plenty of SEC experience uh, starting over 50 games on the offensive line for Mississippi State so he's plug and play you know he's, he's he comes in he's ready to play right away and Stone Forsyth, Richard Garage played a, a good bit last year. Those guys will compete for some, some, you know, some, some of the tackle spots. Uh, Gene DeLance, who, you know, Gator fans you probably don't want to hear a whole lot because he, you know, he, he really he struggled last year uh, a lot. He's really fighting for a right tackle spot as well. He played most, started most of the games at right tackle last year for the Gators. Like I said, struggled, but early return from camp now. Look, a lot of the news you're going to get out of camp is good news <laughs> this time of year. But Roy, yeah. word is – He's really earned his spot back uh, there. And that may shift, you know, what, what, what they can do with Ethan White and Richard Garage. Those guys play guard, Brett Heggie uh, as well. They'll kind of rotate those guys between guard center there. Plenty, you know, plenty of experience because of guys who played last year. But also keep going back to last year was a group that struggled. They did get better as the year went on. They had one of their best games in the bowl game versus Virginia to end the season when you know, Florida ran the ball. One of the best times they've run it all year. Uh, and a lot of it was part partly in due to that offensive line. So you got to find some depth. You know, you, you're not really going to go through a year where you're, you're starting five or you're starting five uh, all season. So they're really counting on Josh Braun, who's a, who's a true freshman, uh, who can really insert himself there. Kingsley Aguaken, who's another uh, option at center. Michael Tarquin uh, as well. So T.J. Moore is another guy who got some early returns as, as a guy who could do some uh, spots, maybe push for a starting spot, but maybe a depth piece there as well. Uh, but, yeah, if this – They'll be better. You know, getting, getting a player like Stuart Reeves, who has a lot of experience, inserting him is just automatically going to make this offensive line better. But if Florida's going to beat Georgia, if Florida's going to go to Atlanta, if Florida's going to compete for a college football playoff spot, I really think it hinges on how, it, how improved this offensive line can be, especially compared to last year. Well, that makes a lot of sense with how good Georgia's defense is, is uh, you know, coming into the season, they return everybody pretty much that was major players for them last year. And defensively for Florida, you know, it's hard to place uh, a Greener, uh, David Reese, uh, a C.J. Henderson. But historically, this is a uh, position group, uh, a group in, its, in itself that produces high-caliber NFL talent year in, year out defensively who are the major players for the Gators coming in yeah certainly uh, on defense you're looking at 
pass rusher and replacing Jonathan Gennard. And, and the big question uh, there is who can be the next great pass rusher? You had Grenard, you had Zaniga uh, back, you know, last year. You go back two years ago for Todd Grant, some defensive coordinator for Florida, and he unearthed Jacopo Light. So, you know, two years in a row where Florida able to find pass rushers and no problem really finding them. You know, Florida last year, 2019, 49 sacks. Uh, so, uh, but the problem there was you didn't get them against Georgia. You didn't get them, get them against LSU. So, you know, hopefully now you get a five-star transfer in Brenton Cox who transferred from Georgia and living up to the five-star billing. And maybe he can be that difference maker in the big games when Florida really needs to get in the backfield uh, that he's a guy that they can really rely on there. And Jeremiah Moon, who has a lot of experience as well, playing that outside buck rush in position for the Gators. Banged up a little bit last year, but seems to be, you know, paired up with Brenton Cox, who's playing more so right now, that strong side defensive end role. They, they can rotate and, and they can shift around a little bit uh, and, and kind of share the, the two roles. But the rush, you know, or strong side defensive end, rushed in position, those two really, really find a way to get back, uh, you know, create some havoc and create some pressure on the quarterback uh, there. And then C.J. Henderson's gone uh, to the NFL for, for the Jaguars first round pick there. Marco Wilson comes back at one of the defensive back spots. But the other side, uh, Manny will be locked down by Kyrie. Lim. Really came on at the end of last year as a true freshman, played one of his better games, maybe his best game against Virginia in the Orange Bowl with a game-sealing interception in that game. And he got a lot of playing time last year. When, when Trey Dean struggled in the nickel um, in the nickel star spot for the Gators, they had to shift Marco Wilson into there, and that left the, the cornerback spot open for uh, Kyrie Elam to come in and really, really showed out last year as a f- true freshman. So, you know, right up there with Derek Stingley from LSU and a lot of the metrics that you look at uh, in cornerbacks with, you know, not, not as much playing time as Stingley, but when he was out there, uh, the stats are very comparable there. So Florida would definitely look at him as kind of creating and, and you know, succeeding that DBU uh, moniker that, that the Gators like to throw around there. But, you know, got a lot of questions at safety uh, for the Gators. I mentioned Trey Dean struggling in that nickel star role last year. He's kind of getting shifted back to playing some safety uh, this coming up year. Him and Brad Stewart will kind of maybe even split some time from between nickel, star, and safety. And that's one thing about this Gator defense. They, they really like the versatility. They really like to mix players, guys that can play defensive end and outside linebacker and rush, and guys that can play corner and nickel. Uh, at, at the same time in this star role, which is kind of a hybrid of a linebacker and a, and a safety and a cornerback, guys that can cover and guys that can hit. Uh, so, you know, Florida's still trying to figure all that out right now. They got guys I think that they know that can play those roles, but now it's just kind of figuring out who can really excel and make this defense the best to put the best 11 uh, out there. So a lot of moving pieces uh, for, for this Gator defense. But as I said, they'll be fine at corner. They'll be fine at, at rushing the quarterback once again. And outside of the world's largest cocktail party uh, against Georgia, who are you looking at as a concern to, to give Florida a run for their money because last year it's real it really seemed like Florida was just you know once Trask got uh you know comfortable Florida was just a, a bullet train forward except for the you know one hiccup uh, against Georgia but not a game they were you know uh, blown out in or anything is there has some anything changed this season that that makes you worried for another team, uh, you know, possibly making a jump and coming at Florida? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, of course, it, it is aiming at the game in Jacksonville versus Georgia uh, there. But you know, with, with the ten game SEC schedule, you know, it added one more you know tougher opponent uh, to put on the Gators' schedule, and there's 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 
two back-to-back games in the season that I really think will make or break Florida's season. So there's uh, two back-to-back games, October 10th and October October 17th. They have to travel to Texas A&M and host LSU back-to-back. So you know, two of the better teams in the SEC West, and Jimbo Fisher, if everybody remembers from his Florida State days, done very well versus Florida. So a lot, a lot different circumstances, of course. Uh, I think a lot of people are picking Florida to kind of be better than Texas A&M. But Jimbo Fisher, a lot of experience playing the Gators, but, you know, he was – he was playing against Jim McElwain <laughs> Gators, so uh, a whole lot different uh, <laughs> animal with, with Dan Mullins Gators. Uh, right a now. little but bit. You, yeah, yeah, but that, that's a road trip uh, there, you know, for, for the Gators, but it's not going to be, you know, a full uh, tile field with 100,000 screaming fans, you know. So, so road trips this year for teams I think are going to be a bit easier. You know, and that's the same for LSU coming to the Swamp uh, the very next week. They're the defending national champions and everything that they lost, but – when Florida and LSU get together, they're always kind of classic, not down, drag out SEC games. So, you know, they play those two teams back to back, and I think that goes a long way in determining Florida's season. And then originally, with Florida's original schedule, their first two SEC opponents were Kentucky and Tennessee. Now those two teams are at the end of the schedule. Kentucky November 28th and, and Tennessee December 5th. Uh, you know, so that, that's, you know, no matter what happens against Georgia, you're still going to have to go win those games. You, you can't rest on your laurels if you go beat Georgia and then somehow, you know, end up losing to Kentucky and Tennessee and, and that wins all for naught if you beat Georgia. Uh, you know, there's two teams that are expected to be better than they were last year. Uh, Tennessee, you know, of course, kind of getting hot uh, toward the end of last year and then Kentucky getting Terry Wilson back uh, this year. So, uh, you know, those, Florida can't rest um, just because, you know, and it doesn't really matter what happens against Georgia. You know, if you lose to Georgia, Georgia's schedule is tough enough to where you still need to go win the Kentucky and Tennessee game at the end of the year. Or if you beat Georgia, you still got to go prove it that you, you know, if, you're, if you beat Georgia, you're still going to be in the college football playoff race. You're still going to be in, in, in the SEC championship race. So you can't, uh, rest your laurels on, on two teams that are expected to be better. So, you know, I think those two games, um, those, you know, four games, but they're back-to-back. Uh, it's in A&M and LSU in October, and then Kentucky, Tennessee in November and, and the first week of December. I think th- those, those four games being back-to-back are, are really going to, um, you know, are really going to make a break for this season. What do you got going on over at Gators Breakdown? Because, I'll tell you, my buddy, uh, the co-host of this show, the Bobcat, he was like, oh, Gator Dave is the truth. I started following you. I, I've listened to a show. I'm I'm not, you know, fully versed yet. But can you enlighten the people? What what are you doing over at Gators Breakdown that's uh, that's new, that's different than, than what the, you know, regular pundits are are putting out there, you know? Yeah, it started back in 2016. Um, you know, just, I was st- writing for some, uh, you know, just random college football sites. And I was like, you know, this this podcasting thing, there might be something to it. So <laughs> let, let me get into it and I get, get out in front of it. And uh, look, it, it, it's taken off. Uh, you know, I've been a Gator fan my whole life. But uh, I try to be truthful, try to, you know, tell, uh, tell it like it is, try to be realistic at times too. And then, um, you know, my co-host Will Miles joined me about halfway through. And we just kind of really got into uh, – you know, balancing numbers and metrics and stats, but also, you know, balancing in a way to where it has some context to it. You know, the, the game is not just about numbers, but it's not just about emotion and, 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 and the players that are out there too. There, there's, there's something behind it. So you know, we try and find a lot of stuff that goes behind it and, and put some context to numbers. And if Florida wins the game, you know, what numbers 
can really say that they won this game and why, or if they lose it, the same, the, the, the same scenario there. So, but, you know, but also being truthful, being honest, being myself, uh, it kind of, kind of helps along the way uh, there, you know, just being a, a diehard Gator fan and, and knowing the team frontwards and backwards and, you know, really just kind of interacting with the fan base as well. I think that's kind of how I built the podcast, built it really through Twitter and interacting with a whole yep. lot of Gator fans and, and all that stuff. And that's well, probably I the think, biggest I thing. I think a lot of, a lot of other SEC team, fans are are also kind of paying attention and keeping tabs on on what you're putting out and and that's because it's good content where where can people find you on twitter again yeah everybody can follow me on twitter at getter dave underscore sec and uh, find gators breakdown on all the podcast platforms out there and at newsforjacks.com slash gators breakdown man i love it man i i i love guys that are out there that dedicated to their team especially in SEC country where it's uh, it can get rough. I'm, I'm a big 10 guy and <laughs> this is my first foray into hate mail from uh, hate DMS because I, you know, I didn't rate, uh, rate uh, Arkansas high enough or, or Ole Miss high enough, even though I like both teams. I don't know. Um, well, David, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Gators Breakdown is the podcast at Gator Dave underscore SEC is the Twitter. David, I hope to have you on and, and maybe we talk, uh, uh, you know, down the road and especially when uh, Florida's going into that SEC championship game, no? Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully so. We'll, we hope to be in Atlanta sometime in December. Yes, sir. All right. We'll head back to the finale of the show right now. All right, thank you to at Gator Dave underscore SEC, David Waters with the Gator Breakdown podcast. Uh, he made a very strong case for SEC uh, East Championship titles in the future for the Florida Gators. Kyle Trask, we, we saw what this team could become with Kyle Trask at QB. He led them. Uh, to a nice Orange Bowl victory over Virginia that was uh, that was a little close early. You know, Bryce Petty is a hell of a player. Um, Perkins, Bryce Perkins. Bryce Perkins, thank you. Bryce Petty was a quarterback at Baylor, no? Yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> it's okay. Same position. Ba- Baylor, Virginia, same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, go Hokies. <laughs> uh what's your take? You obviously have them first. What gets you excited about Florida? Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask gets me, I mean, always hard AF for Kyle Trask. I think, <laughs> oh, okay. I think Kyle, I think Kyle Trask, uh, I, again, guys, we'll mention the South Florida Wisconsin game last year. Don't take my gambling advice, but if you can pick up some good odds on, on Kyle Trask winning the Heisman, I would probably take it for five, 10, 15 bucks. I also like Emory Jones, his backup. So if you have another injury like to Felipe Franks, shout out to Felipe Franks in Arkansas. But if you have another injury, I think Emory Jones, the redshirt freshman, I think he's gonna he's probably gonna get some playing time and mop up duty. I think they're gonna blow the doors off quite a few teams this year. I really like him. Uh, really only losing to Texas A&M. I got him going nine nine wins with a ten win ceiling. I got him undefeated as the ceiling. But uh, that that game at Texas A&M where, you know, Texas A&M just got beat by Alabama. You know, they've, they've got a home game the next week at, you know, welcoming Florida. Uh, I, I like, you know, I like that game. The game's going to be awesome to watch. Mark it down on your calendars is October 10th. It's really not much going on that day other than Ole Miss, Alabama, and those two. 
I think that, you know, Kyle Trask came in last year, man, and he was flinging the ball around. He did everything Dan Mullen wanted him to do, uh, and he did it well. He did it extremely well. I mean, I wouldn't say UVA was a marquee win by any means. I don't know how they got into the ACC championship game, but it's hard to contain Perkins, right? So I I get that. This defense is amazing. You know, they're always going to produce top DB talent down in Gainesville. They're all, I mean, I think, you know, like Gator Dave mentioned, I think they're here to stay. I think that the SEC East is theirs to hold on to for at least the next two years or so. And then Tennessee really comes up and starts nipping on them. But yeah, man, there's not much that I don't like uh, about uh, this Florida team. I would say maybe running back. We can argue running back. It's very young running back committee all sophomores there's a couple of redshirt sophomores and one transferred well Lingard Lingard transfers over from Miami and right and he seems like the guy that's going to be the starting running back here yeah yeah but they're, they're all sophomores so and we really don't know what to expect from that running back core uh but I will tell you with with Kyle Pitts uh, as the tight end H back type type guy and Kyle Trask you know Kyle Square Jacob Copeland Trayvon Grimes Kadarius Toney you know, all the, these weapons for Kyle Trask, I think they're, they're going to go back to, you know, when Dan Mullen was the OC with, with old Timmy Tebow. And I think, I think they're going to use Kyle Trask in a similar fashion. Well, I, I don't have too much more to add. I, I really think that Florida is a scary good team this year. And, and Kyle Trask is – he's primed to take over that role as a QB. I mean – Last year, 25 touchdowns, seven picks. Uh, Florida was winning some games and in some games that I didn't think that they could get into. Uh, and Dan Mullen is is certainly cooking something up in the swamp. Here's my uh, hot take. I'll give you one hot take. Okay. Get off of Florida. I think Kyle Trask in his jump from last year into this year, I think if we look back and we compare it, it'll be similar. I'm not saying at the same caliber. It'll be similar to Joe Burrow, where I'm telling you right now, I think it will be very similar. So you're calling for about 40 touchdowns? I'm calling – dude, I'm calling for more than 40. I'll give you – yeah, I'll take over 40 on wow. touchdown. Total touchdowns, right? Yeah, total. Yeah, total touch. Yeah, I could probably see him getting closer to 45 total t- TDs. Um, probably going to get, you know, if he has under 10 interceptions, I think that's a phenomenal year. I don't really, you know, I don't base too much on how many picks you throw. Shout out to Jameis Winston, 30 plus picks, but a record, a a record is a record, no less, but yeah, man, I could see him throwing 45 touchdowns, excuse me, total touchdowns, 45, throwing about 38 touchdowns, running about seven touchdowns. Uh, you know, as long as he's under 10 picks, I think he's going to be a first round draft pick. Hot take of the day. There you go. Um, Bobcat, before we let you go, give me your final four in the playoff. All right, so obviously I've got Alabama and Florida playing in the SEC championship game. I think Alabama's a little bit too much. They're, I mean, they, they're coming at your throat this year. Um, depending on how many wins Florida has, if Florida goes undefeated, loses in the SEC championship game, give me them and Alabama both in the, in the playoff. If they, if they slip up and they go 9-2 and two with a loss in the SEC championship game, give me Texas A&M in the playoff. Right now, in no particular order, I've got Clemson, Alabama, Texas, and Texas A&M in the playoff. I, I love that Texas pick. I really do. 
Yeah, I could definitely see Texas running the table. I think the only scary spot for them is Baylor. I think people are sleeping on Baylor. Remember, Baylor Baylor made it to the, the championship game last year against Oklahoma. People are sleeping on Baylor. Don't sleep on Baylor. Well, you heard it here from the Bobcat. A lot of hot takes, a lot of juicy comments. Bobcat, thank you for covering the SEC West and East with me. Um, we're going to have you back during the season and uh, break down some games and maybe uh, get your take on some lines before the, before the Saturday rolls around. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, we've got a great show next week coming up, our NFL uh, kind of pseudo preview, even though we're about two weeks into the season by then. But uh, we're going to have a lot of different guests and uh, some betting trends and all that good stuff. So tune in for that. But until next time, for the Bobcat, I am Stu, and we are out.